1: What a life. What a day. Saturday, December 12, 2020. This is an epic show. Let's get right to it. Tom Downey is an excellent lawyer. He's in the lounge, as is John Kellner, the newly elected DA in the 18th Judicial District. My troubadour has a special Hanukkah song. It's called Dancing with the Tin Man. You will love it. But we just got breaking news. The Supreme Court ruled against Donald J. Trump. Good for them. Here's Tom Downey in Craig's Lawyers Lounge.
2: Welcome to Craig's Lawyers Lounge.
1: Gosh, it's good to have the keys to Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. We are back with Tom Downey to open the show late on a Friday night. We have the U.S. Supreme Court ruling. Tom's in Craig's Lawyer's Lounge for the fourth time, maybe five times (laughs) if you count this one. But Tom, we just got the ruling from the Supreme Court. What do you think?
3: Well, it's very exciting that we have nine Supreme Court justices those appointed by Republicans and Democratic presidents, including three appointed by President Trump, who all agree unanimously that this case brought by the Texas attorney general is absolutely ridiculous. Right. Isn't the legal word bullshit? <laughs> yes, yes. That's what, you know, Chief Justice Chase would have said, uh, that That's what I say.
1: At the end of the show, after (laughs) the first part of our interview, I go off. I'm doing (laughs) X-rated because I'm a little worked up. I even got a horse cutting that part, but it's worth it. Now, here's the thing. Tom Downey, friend of Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh, went to Georgetown Prep with them both. I think that speaks volumes about their integrity,
3: don't you? it it really does. You know, you're overstating my my relationship with the two justices.
1: Tune in toward the back end to hear about how Tom and Neil went to New York. They were in the odd couple together. <laughs> Tom was Oscar Madison. Neil had a lesser role, looked up to Tom, still does. Anyway, Brett Kavanaugh, they were best buddies, even though Brett was the basketball <laughs> star and Tom was the debating champion. Anyway, it's worth hearing the back part of the show. But the only confusion is, did Sam Alito and Clarence Thomas do anything to throw Trump a bone? I don't think no. so.
3: No, no, you're correct. Not at all. Uh, uh, it's a procedural question because the original jurisdiction that the Supreme Court has is when one state sues another. There are two normal ways that the Supreme Court takes the case. It is either when i go to the district court in colorado appeal it to the appellate court in colorado goes to the colorado supreme court and then if there's a federal question then i appeal it from the colorado supreme court up to the us supreme court if they take the case the other is if i file in federal district court then to the court of appeals federal court of appeals and then if the supreme court takes it up to the Colorado Supreme Court. just a
1: procedural issue. Alito and Thomas think that anytime states sue each other, they have to at least docket it. The rest of the guys said, get the hell out of here. I've looked at Twitter. I've studied the reaction on the cable shows. Trump's not going to give an inch. He's going to keep grifting, keep raising money. He's going to put on new ads, attacking the Supreme Court, saying the fix was in. They wouldn't even hear our evidence. And I'm afraid that there's 35% of the population that's buying this bullshit. And a guy who I got to meet, the head of the Texas Republican Party, Alan West, he was hurt in a motorcycle accident not that long ago. But he said that states like Texas should think about forming their own union. Where have you heard this kind of talk before? And I'm telling you that there's a percentage of Trumpsters out there. Who are talking this kind of trash?
3: Yeah, I, I agree with with both of the things that you've just said. The second thing is people who are talking secession, and you know, the last time that it was uh, this serious was leading up to uh, Fort Sumter and Abraham Lincoln's election, um, which which was ridiculous. And hey, if you don't like the outcome of election of an election, you don't secede from the union, and that's what these people are talking about, which is which is. Horribly ridiculous and and they need to be mocked for the first part of your question. uh, Yes, I agree with also that Trump is not going to let up. Um, What has he done over and over and over again? Anyone that he brings in, anyone that he appoints is the greatest person in the world. They are superb. They are brilliant until they cross him and then they are the worst. He never likes them anyway. And Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, Tony Barrett, they, are, they were his people. They were incredible, absolutely incredible. And then when Gorsuch authored a majority opinion that he didn't like about uh, transgender rights, uh, gay and lesbian rights, he, he you know, flew off the handle and you know, we were so disappointed in him. And now I'm guaranteed you're going to hear the whole Supreme Court, including his three appointees, are awful terrible. They don't know what they're doing. You're going to hear everyone else talking about how it was merely a procedural issue, but not on the substance, that Trump still won. Uh, And then getting back to your second point again, that uh, the fight is not over. And, you know, what are we going to do about it? And uh, uh, it is sad. But the good news is that this is another step that you know a united supreme court a significant majority 6 out of 9 republican appointees 90 finding against the uh, texas argument against trump and there are no real legal battles the next one is going to be monday with the electoral college the next one after that is going to be january 6th when congress votes the electoral ballots, and then the next one will be uh, January 20th when President-elect Biden gets sworn in and Vice President Harris. I hope with each one of these, some of the rancor and steam starts to uh, evaporate a little. It will not go away. There will still be core folks that are pushing, um, you know, outrageous theories and outrageous arguments and and outrageous potential outcomes like you're talking about. Um, it certainly will not go away. But the big questions are, what are the other steps they're going to try and take before them? And what are the outrageous steps they're going to try and take after Biden becomes president?
1: Well, I like that rancor and steam. It sounds like you're dating days back at Georgetown Prep. Let me just tease the rest of this Craig <laughs> Floyd lounge session. We come up with the title, Gila Monster. Isn't that the way you say it? Because they are lounge lizards, then there are Gila Monsters, and now we're giving Tom credit for an extra appearance. And we have the most fun interview, especially when we talk about the triple date he went on with Kavanaugh and Gorsuch. What was that girl's name? Blazy Ford. I can't remember. Anyway, it's quite a story. And then there are hijinks when they were... A, in New York with the odd couple. It's an odd story. Beyond that, we talk about Bush v. Gore. And I don't know if I want to remind you of this, but I just found this out. Tom Downey, who was Al Gore's Colorado state chairman back in 1980. It was 20 years ago today that Bush v. Gore was argued in the United States Supreme Court. (laughs) And you know when the decision came out?
3: No, I don't remember the date.
1: The next day, December 12th, the date that this airs. That's 20 years ago that you lost that presidential election. But at least you guys got over it. You didn't threaten to secede or anything, did you?
3: No. And I was on on leave from the attorney general's office, on TV, on the radio, uh, stating, no, this is not a constitutional crisis. This is a constitutional process. And I meant that then, and I mean it now. This is not a crisis. This is a process. It only becomes a crisis if there are people in positions of power who try and subvert the process and rally others to do the same. And that's my fear now.
1: Well, this is the best late-night episode we've ever had in Craig's (laughs) Lawyer's Lounge. Special Hanukkah episode. Wait till they hear about this special cocktail that we cook up because we haven't been serving during the pandemic, but for Tom Downey, an exception was made. Thank you, Tom.
3: Thank you so much, Craig. Happy Hanukkah to you. Thank you. Bye.
1: In my practice of law, Michael Bailey, decisions are often left to a personal representative. God forbid a person gets killed, that's an important decision you can make ahead of time. Who is going to be your personal representative? What is your advice in that regard?
4: So you want to pick somebody as a personal representative who has several qualities. Number one, you want them to kind of have a good sense of financial stuff and, and matters like that so they can, they can deal with that. I have a friend who's really, really good and really, really smart and is scared to death to fill out a tax form because they don't quite, just the finances don't make sense to them. So you don't wanna pick that type of person. You wanna pick somebody who can understand finances. You wanna pick somebody who's trustworthy, who will carry out your decisions. And if you can do it, you wanna pick somebody who's not afraid of people not liking them
0: or getting their feelings hurt. Now, back to The Craig Silberman Show.
1: Oh, what a world. What a day. What a life. I have led a life that has intersected some interesting people. A lot of attorneys. Of course, I come from a family of lawyers. My dad, his dad, my big bro, others. Most lawyers I like. Linwood, not so much. Linwood represented the Ramses. I did a lot of analysis of the murder of Sean Bonet. I think about her as Christmas approaches, Lenwood took the side of the Ramseys, the parents of little Sean Benet. John Ramsey, Republican, running for state house later in Michigan, he lost. Lenwood has been the subject of a lot of controversy, especially of late, because his underlings in the law firm sued him, made a bunch of allegations spelled out in the Mother Jones article that is hyperlinked in my Colorado Sun column. Lynn Wood is suddenly a Trumper, saying there's a grand conspiracy, and I find it interesting that Lynn Wood, who defended the Ramses through thick and thin, is now on the side of the Trump stirs, Trump family, Trumpism. He even held a rally where he dressed like Trump, red hat, red tie, about the same build. Lynn Wood's a little smaller. I met him once, in U.S. District Court as he wrapped up a proceeding for the woman who sued the late Kobe Bryant. I also got a phone call from him where he said, Silverman, if you say another thing about my clients implying they had anything to do with their daughter's death, I will own your firstborn child. My wife remembers that conversation. I felt duty-bound to tell her about it. But I kept going with my analysis, and Linwood called a lot of people like that. Now, Linwood is bringing lawsuits on behalf of Donald J. Trump, and he's the subject of controversy because when he stood up there looking like Trump with Sidney Powell, Sidney Powell, who used to appear regularly on Chuck and Julie, and she liked shows like that where she could spin conspiracy theories and get a great reception. They stood up on a stage in Georgia and said, don't vote in the senatorial runoff because why trust this machinery? It's Dominion Voting Systems. It's a rig. It's a fix. Listen to the president. Listen to Linwood and Sidney Powell. And Republicans are aghast. Well, no, actually, we do want you to vote for us. Dan Crenshaw is an up-and-coming congressman. You know him. He has the eye patch. He was in the military, served this country with distinction. Now he's a Republican from Texas. And he was on with Megyn Kelly, who's doing, guess what, a podcast. I watched Blockbuster this week. I recommended the Fox News expose. Megyn Kelly portrayed there. Here's the real thing. Megyn Kelly with Dan Crenshaw talking about Lenwood and Sidney Powell telling people not to vote. Here's Crenshaw's reaction. He's just been down to Georgia campaigning.
5: I am optimistic. I'm becoming a little more optimistic that this, this whole conspiracy theory about don't go vote, don't, you know, that movement is, is basically a Twitter movement um, mm-hmm. and uh, perpetuated by opportunists and another grifter, Michelle Malkin. Um, You have to understand something about somebody like Michelle. She she was formerly a a fairly normal conservative. I don't know what happened to her over the years. Um, She she did get um, uh, situated with with some other groups like they call themselves the Groypers. They're deeply racist, anti Semitic groups uh, that sort of cloak themselves in MAGA terminology. Like they 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 wear the they wear Make America Great Again hats. They 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 say they're they're America First, pro Trump, but then they they only, they're, they're obsessive about things like America's support for Israel, um, and they're, they're very anti-Israel. So this is what Michelle Malkin has sort of become over time. You have to realize that she's, she's, she's not what you think she is. Um, you have to also realize something else about people like her. She wants to lose. And Why would she want to lose? Why would she want the conservative side to lose? Because when you lose, you're angry, right? When you lose, you're under attack and then you look and you're and you're mad and so you look for the angriest voices on social media and she's one of those so this really is a money making scheme for her um, they, they do not have any interest in winning because her power is derived from extra clicks and extra content and making you think that she's the purest of the pure, like like she's the one who really understands you. And she'll they'll tell you that, right? And you hear this kind of language oftentimes, like, I'm the only one you can trust. Um, it's very manipulative. Uh, and and, and, and I, I think it's worth exposing uh, pe- people like her. They have no interest in you winning. They have no interest in you getting what you actually want.
6: Hmm. All right, I'll... I'll... Offer a defense of Lynn and Michelle since they're not here, uh, just in fairness to them. Lynn Wood, he has had a, a pretty badass history as a lawyer. I mean, he not only did he re- represent the Covington kid, Nick Sandman successfully from what we read, but, um, you know, going back to Richard Jewell, Duke Lacrosse, and so on, he's this guy's had a, a pretty successful history as a lawyer, which is why it is odd to see him standing up there making some of these arguments. And Megan did not
1: even mention Sean Benet or Kobe Bryant, but she did mention that Covington kid. I'm not sure how much he got. That case got dismissed before it was appealed, and I think it was settled while the appeal of the dismissal was pending. Not exactly a strong situation. Linwood has gone a little Michigan, but I was liking me some of this Dan Crenshaw. Wow. Calling out Michelle Malkin. If only some Colorado Republicans had the balls to do that. She's bad news. Dan Crenshaw knows it. He speaks out. And it's odd that he condemns these conspiracy theories, yet he signed onto that Trump letter. Dang, man. But let's keep going with your strong condemnation of Michelle Malkin. Megyn Kelly kind of pushes back. I know those two knew each other well at Fox News. They're both bright. They're both good-looking. They were both Fox News personalities. And Megyn Kelly is saying, hey, maybe you're being a little tough on Malkin, but Crenshaw, he doesn't back down. He sized up Michelle Malkin the way I have. Remember when I had her on and she could not stand the heat, so she vamoosed? And now she's in a war with Dan Crenshaw,
6: who has her figured out if only Colorado Republicans could. Malkin, you know, she's I I feel like she's been attacked so much. She found a posse of folks around her that are really controversial. And I could see her loathe to denounce them because, you know, I think as a Republican, you're constantly getting asked to denounce this one or denounce that one. And sometimes. You really do need to denounce, you know, like sometimes it's not all a media creation, but I could sort of see her getting backed into this corner where she just refused to do it. And then a lot of the Republicans disassociate, disassociated with her. And now she's out there with her swords, just fighting, fighting battle after battle. She's got a show on Newsmax and um, you know she gets she gets her say. So I wanted to give you the chance to you know, respond because it's it's not nice to call you that 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 phrase. I know you've heard you've been called worse. Yeah. Uh, let me well, shift no, gears. No, nobody yeah, came ahead.
5: after Michelle. I never came after Michelle. You know, she she starts her own fights. You know, there's 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 no excusing her behavior and the and the, the cliff that she's fallen off of. Um, it, it's 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 concerning. Um, like there's there's some, there's something there's something deeply wrong there. I I think. Um, and so I I don't know. I don't know if that's a defense or not. But yeah, we can move on.
1: Okay, so let's move on from Michelle Malkin to somebody. Similarly, odious, a bigot named David Perdue, the senator from Georgia. I don't like calling people a bigot or a racist, but I truly believe it. About David Perdue is, who is also a coward. He won't show up to debate John Ossoff, a Jewish kid, thirty-three years old, who can speak well and is smart, and has sized up David Perdue for the bad guy that he is. He's trying to win against him in Georgia, defeat this incumbent Republican who backed Donald Trump at every turn. Now, what is it about David Perdue that makes him not a good person? What makes him a bigot? Well, the fact that he picked on the fact that John Ossoff is a Jewish guy, that's a clue. The way he pronounced Kamala Harris's name, After working with her in the U.S. Senate, that's another clue. It's big backing of Donald Trump there again. I watched him get a softball interview on Fox News the other night, and he was asked, well, why didn't you show up for the debate? He said, well, Ossoff lost to the empty podium. He got a half hour and the empty podium won, which means the empty podium is better than you are, David Perdue, because he kicked your butt when you debated. Here's John Ossoff. On with Parit Bharara, a great podcast again. John Ossoff explaining to the former U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York why David Perdue is such a bad guy.
7: You think of the record of your opponent, David Perdue, who will not debate you. Have there been um, in this campaign so far elements of racism or anti-Semitism?
8: Well, David Perdue was lengthening my nose in his ads to remind everyone that I'm a Jew.
7: Can you explain that to folks? Because that got some attention previously, and I think it's faded from view. Explain to people what happened and what the explanation was.
8: Well, they were running a digital attack ad campaign in which they had digitally doctored an image of my face to uh, extend my nose. I mean, it's As anti-Semitism goes, Preet, I don't give them points for originality.
7: (laughs) Was anyone fired?
8: I think that one junior staffer was fired. The American Jewish Committee demanded an apology from the senator. He never apologized, never took responsibility. But I mean, David Perdue is is a known bigot. This is a guy who publicly prayed for Barack Obama's death. This is a guy who's lengthening my nose in his attack ads. By the way, when that didn't work, then he started calling me uh, a Muslim terrorist. And then when that didn't work, he started calling me a Chinese communist. This is the same guy who got up on stage at a Trump rally and mocked Kamala Harris's name in order to mock her South Asian heritage.
9: And Kamala or what Kamala or Kamala, 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 Kamala I don't know, whatever.
8: So, I mean, you know, this is just who David
7: Perdue is. Oh, I remember that very well. And it's a colleague. It's not even a stranger. Yeah, It's, it's someone who has, has served in the Senate with her for a number of years. And I don't think he apologized for that either, did he?
8: Never. I mean, he's an unapologetic bigot. But this is the old Southern strategy. See, Preet, this, is what, this is what the GOP has been doing here since the early 70s. It's about uh, dog whistle politics, um, or in this case, more like a foghorn. <laughs>
0: Dan Levitt, Sandler Training.
6: Hi Dan, Craig sent me.
0: Craig Silverman? That's him. Man, can I tell you a good story about Craig?
10: I'd
6: love it.
0: Once Craig took his dog Tuffy to a singing competition.
6: For what purpose?
0: Well, the dog was gonna be in a dog food commercial. And how did they do? Well, Tuffy did fine. That dog, he could sing.
6: So did they get the job?
0: No, they didn't. There was a problem.
6: And what was that?
0: Well, Tuffy only sang when Craig started singing. And when that happened, everybody around started laughing. You know, Craig's not a good singer.
6: But Craig's a great talker.
0: You know, he sure is. Now let's talk about how Sandler can help you.
6: Great, my sales team
0: really needs help. You've come to the right place.
1: Sandler training can help you big time if you are a salesman or a sales manager. If you would like to learn more about Tuffy or me or how to make sales, Call my old friend Dan Levitt, 303 829 2107. 303 829 2107. Tell him Craig and Tuffy
0: sent you. Now, back to the Craig Silverman Show.
2: Welcome to Craig's Lawyer's Lounge.
1: Gosh, I'm honored that John Kellner has agreed to come into Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. John, the newly elected district attorney in the 18th Judicial District. I am one of his constituents now, and let's welcome John Kellner. How are you, John?
2: I'm doing great, Craig. Thanks for having me on in the Lawyer's Lounge. I got to know, before we get too far, who has the record for the most appearances in your Lawyer's Lounge?
1: It is George Brockler. Ever heard of him?
2: The name rings a bell. So, yeah, I thought that was the case. I remember listening to your lawyer's lounge quite a bit and, and him being on the show. So I'm glad to, to follow in those footsteps again.
1: Okay. Who's in second place?
2: That I don't know. I mean, I, I wasn't prepared for trivia.
1: Kuzair Muhammad Bai. You should get to know Kuzair. Kuzair Rathad and Muhammad Bai, one of the best law firms in Colorado. Second really only to Springer and Steinberg.
2: <laughs> There's a nice plug.
1: Yes. That's the beauty of this podcast. You already plugged George Brockler. Tell us about George. I know him pretty well. How long have you known him?
2: So I first met George about 2007 in Charlottesville, Virginia. I was a young captain in the Marine Corps and he was, I think a major, if my memory serves correctly, in the army. He was teaching a course there on trial advocacy and he gave an opening presentation for a murder case that he had tried. So it was really captivating. He was one of our instructors. I kept in touch with him over the years as I was a, a prosecutor, really pretty young prosecutor at the time. And I could reach out to him and he would give me advice on, hey, here's how you might frame this argument or here's what I think about your presentation, your PowerPoint, your closing and opening, things like that. So we kept in touch over the years. When I left the Marine Corps, left active duty, I just got back from my Afghanistan and yeah, you know, my wife was like, "Okay, we've got to put down some roots." I totally agreed. I actually called him at the time; uh, he was working in Denver. And thought, "Hey, you know, maybe I could go work for George Brockler." That didn't happen. He was actually deployed to Iraq. I ended up working for Stan Garnett in Boulder, the Democrat D.A. out there. Worked for him for a while, and then when George was elected, he called me up and said, "Hey, I want you to come do this cold case unit thing uh, in Arapahoe County." really happy to take that opportunity. So I've been with him in his administration since day one.
1: How old were you? You keep saying you were a young captain, prosecutor. How old were you?
2: Well, I don't do math that well because I am a Marine, so I'm not going to go back in time, but I'm 39 now.
1: Gosh, okay. Well, I can do that math. So you were a young (laughs) guy. So how did you get in the military? Did you do that through college and did you emerge as a lieutenant?
2: Yeah, pretty much. You know, I grew up in a military family. My father served about almost 30 years in the Marine Corps on active duty. So really not just my father, but my mother as well. That doesn't happen without having a very supportive family. So we had bounced around, you know, all over the country, Marine base to Marine base overseas, then back again. And I honestly never thought I wanted to serve. You know, I I thought I wanted to just have this this different kind of lifestyle where I wasn't moving around so much. But you know, when 9/11 happened, I was in college, and you know, a lot of things changed. And I thought, okay, I want to serve my country. I joined the Marine Corps. I went to Officer Candidate School. I was in college. I was commissioned when I graduated in 2003. And they said, you know, you've got some pretty good scores. Have you thought about being a judge advocate? And that's when I started looking at law schools. End up going to Boulder. Met my wife there on day one. So, you know, I was in Boulder in law school from 03 to 06 and then uh, active duty from 2006 to
1: 2011. Gosh, that's a good story. And thank you for your service. You said you're not good at math. It seems you may not be good at trivia, but back to Stan Garnett, <laughs> who was his chief deputy in the Denver DA's office when he was first assigned to district court?
2: I'm going to go with a guy named Craig Silverman.
1: That's right. I'm sure Stan talks about it all the time, but I like Stan Garnett. How about you?
2: Absolutely. I learned a lot from him as a DA. He's a guy that I've kept in touch with over the years as a mentor. and I really appreciate that. He was really adamant that there are some cases that come before you that, you know, as the elected district attorney matter so much to the community that they expect and they want their elected DA out there sort of leading that charge, leading that case. And I saw him do that in Boulder. It's something I've seen George Brockler do. Yeah, I've seen, frankly, Dan May and, and many other DAs do the same. It's something I intend to do as well.
1: Well, I like the fact that you went to see you Boulder because I went there. And now for all the bonus points, what jersey do I have on right now, saluting an undefeated record that I hope continues Against the Utes,
2: well, the Buffs.
1: But what number? What player? Who signed this jersey with his number on it?
2: Yeah, you know, you're going way too deep for me. I, I don't know. You got to tell me.
1: Cordell Stewart. I happen to oh. have somehow I got this jersey, and Cordell Stewart saw it and came by and signed it. And I guess I was like a teenage girl or something. But the guy really is a sucker for CU. George Brockler and Dan Kaplis.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, listen, it's a beautiful school. It's a wonderful setting. I mean, what can't you like? And especially right now at the Buffs, who hopefully then you know, to the, the championship game for the Pac-12. Uh, hopefully those chips fall the right way.
1: What's your favorite sport to follow?
2: Football. You know, I went to University of Florida for undergrad, and so I'm still a diehard Gators fan. I've got that in common with a couple people out here in Colorado. Uh, we've got a pretty decent contingent of uh, Gator fans out here. And the Broncos, you know, even though it's been a tough couple of years.
1: Some of them are lawyers. Do you know Kyle Backus?
2: Yeah, I sure do. He's from
1: Gainesville. He loves Florida. He loves that stuff.
2: Well, that's awesome. I know he's a big supporter of MAD and the work they do.
1: And he's a lounge lizard. Once you come on three times, I think you're a lounge lizard. This is just your first. Tell us about the combo, John. Your military training as a Marine, how does that translate into the big job you have now?
7: Yeah, the,
2: the training I think you get in the Marine Corps, it's predominantly about leadership. Officer Candidate School the basic school where you go through sort of a you know, basic course to learn how to be a rifle platoon commander. It's not just about you know, X's and O's and, and tactics. It's a lot about developing leadership skills and how to motivate people that work for you to get the best out of them. Now, that's something that I like to think I've carried on into my civilian world, and you know, continued on in the reserves as well. I'm a lieutenant colonel in the reserves. I work out at it. at Northcom. I'm really proud to keep doing that work. But you know, taking that mindset and applying it to leading and developing young prosecutors. You were a chief deputy, so you know what this is like. You can have some absolutely fantastic trial attorneys then you've got to also develop this other side of helping to lead and motivate people because you know within the DA's office, it's not just about showing up in court, presenting effective evidence and convincing a jury to maybe convict somebody. It's working with those victim advocates. It's working with detectives and investigators and getting everybody rowing in the same direction. That takes leadership. That's something that's been a core focus of me as a chief deputy in the 18th is developing my young subordinate prosecutors to not just be excellent in the courtroom, but to, to sort of broaden that and make them good leaders too.
1: That's cool. I just can't imagine how you do it in this environment with the pandemic. So much of my memories of growing up in the Denver DA's office and working there 16 years was the interaction in the hallways in various people's offices. Hell, we all knew Bill Ritter was going to go huge places because everybody congregated around him. He was the golden boy. But how do you do that on Zoom? How do you lead?
2: That's a challenge everybody's facing. You know, it's not unique to the prosecutor's office. It's not unique to law firms, I'm sure. It's everywhere. We're all adjusting to this, you know, new Zoom, WebEx protocols. So it's not ideal but I think it also presents some opportunities and I've seen people really rise up to that challenge throughout these last, gosh, you know, nine months or so where we've been doing this uh, remote court where we've been checking in and and leading people in the office remotely. It's a challenge and I I think a lot of people have stepped up to the plate and hopefully hope that we take some of the good things about this into the future post pandemic. I'm sure you remember, going to court, having one or two cases, and sitting around for three or four hours to get them done. Mm-hmm. And you probably do that at times in your civilian practice, right? But I really hope that the courts enable us to keep doing some forms of remote access, because we're seeing more engagement at times from victims in cases. And that's huge. And uh, we're also seeing you know more people show up to court and not have to take off time and ride three buses to get there and, and maybe show up late, right? So these are all good things. Hopefully we we'll learn from that and bring it forward.
1: Geez, when I was your age, I used to quip that I've spent half my life waiting for the public defender to show up. Cause they get scratched and then you're sitting around. There is a lot of waiting. You used to bring a newspaper, now everybody gets to look at their smartphone. But back to the trivia, because you should know this, because you're a major figure in prosecution now, the last successful death penalty case in that it yielded a jury verdict of death, was prosecuted by a lieutenant colonel in the United States Marines. Do you know who that man was?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. I, I don't.
1: That was my colleague, Mike Little, who was also a light colonel in the Marines, just like you. So That's
7: fascinating. Yeah, I didn't yeah,
1: know that. What a great guy. Mike Little, Frank Rodriguez. He went to death row and then died there while his last appeal was pending before the 10th Circuit. Death penalty is in the news now. It's been banned in Colorado, but some federal prisoner was just executed on Donald Trump's watch. Is that an issue anymore, John Kellner, or is it done and over with in Colorado?
2: Well, I think you know that the legislature repealed it. The governor signed that into law. So, you know, from my perspective, it's not a option in terms of sentencing anymore. So it's not something that we're really considering in any way, shape, or form going forward on these cases. Now, if you were to ask me, what do I think about it? Well, I think it was an important tool for prosecutors to have. I also think it was important for communities to have a voice in.
1: Where do you get your news? these days john kelner
2: get our news from all different sources now i mean obviously i'm looking at the gazette I'm looking at the posts really try to get as many different sources of information especially when you're talking about national issues as possible do you want to not stick to just kind of one silo that might be giving you a you know skewed impression i think that's a great challenge frankly for people nowadays with so many different access points for information is finding some source that you trust and then finding multiple sources you trust. What about you? What are you reading?
1: Well, I like the Colorado Sun because I like the initials and I like being columnist at large over there. And I think it's a good news outlet. I'll put Jesse Paul and some of those people up against anybody, right?
2: Yeah, I agree with you there. I like the model of the Sun because it's had some pretty long form, really in-depth reporting. I've actually published, you know, sort of an op-ed that I put in about my concerns with rising child abuse issues throughout the pandemic and really some of the concerns I had with schools being remote and lack of access to mandatory reporters, really uh, seeing some of the most vulnerable people in our society, some young kids that you know, needed help and weren't necessarily getting it. So, yeah, I like the Colorado Sun, too.
1: Good. I'm going to share this with Larry Rickman. He's my boss over there, but... I think it's cool the way public officials like yourself come to our opinion pages and get published, especially if it's well-written. I remember you wrote that and it was highly informative and well-written. Where do you go for entertainment these days? Are you watching Netflix? How old are your kids?
2: (laughs) My kids are seven and eight years old. So we're spending a lot of time on Disney Plus these days.
1: My son's eighteen and he said, Dad, buy Disney. They just made a deal with Marvel. It's gonna pay off big. Do you agree? Do you like Marvel?
2: Oh my gosh. Yeah. Who doesn't like Marvel? But you might have missed the boat on that. You know, Disney stock's been skyrocketing, I think, for the last four or five months. So it might be a tough time to buy.
1: Well, oh, that's my history with stock picking, but I do have a good record of knowing the local prosecutors. You are not the first newly elected prosecutor in the lounge, but your election took a while. Tell everybody about your come from behind victory.
2: Well, on election night, you know, I was keeping obviously a keen eye on those results as they came in, but we were down on election night. I think we were down about 1500 votes or so. And you'll forgive me if it's a little blurry because it kind of blocked that part out. But I also knew that unlike the rest of the country, Colorado kind of did the inverse where we count all those mail-in ballots first and they really tabulate them and post those results at 7pm on election night. So I knew there was a large contingent of in-person day of voters that I thought was going to predominantly skew towards a Republican candidate like myself. So I knew there was still hope that those results might change. So over the next couple of days, as they counted those ballots across the judicial district, Arapo, Douglas, Elbert, and Lincoln, I ended up taking the lead by about 1,500 votes. And then I learned something I knew nothing about, which was uh, curing. So your listeners had probably heard Andrew Stutman earlier talk about the cure process where if somebody's ballot is rejected because let's say it's a mismatched signature or something like that. You've got this opportunity, thank goodness, to fix your ballot within this statutory timeframe about a week you know, after that election to make sure, hey. If it was your ballot, you sign an affidavit, you put a form in, and it counts. So I think my opponent, Ms. Padden, obviously myself, we were all very focused on ensuring that we're getting folks to cure their ballots because there was several thousand of those and you know might have had the potential to flip the race. It ultimately didn't change much. My lead was about fourteen hundred and thirty three, I want to say, after the curing. And then that means we were going to a recount. So we were five votes away, just five votes from being outside that automatic recount margin. And here's where I think things were really impressive to me. The county clerks from all four counties did a fantastic job. It took them about a week to recount everything. And in the end, the vote total changed out of 573,000 plus votes. The total vote total changed by eight. So I ended up winning this race by 1,425 votes across those four counties.
1: Congratulations. Smart move getting Andrew Stretman. He's one of the smartest people I've ever had on a broadcast. He's super. Did you know him before you hired him to help you cure those ballots?
2: No, I didn't, actually. I got introduced to him really when this became an issue for me. I had a great campaign manager, and Jack Cutter who helped me throughout the you know, entirety of this campaign. And so when it came to this point, that was pretty specialized stuff. And I know Andrew had successfully led some cure efforts in the past. So I was really happy to bring him on, fortunate to get him.
1: So when you went to bed on election night, you were behind?
2: Yeah, sure was.
1: Boy, that had to feel crappy. But you comforted yourself thinking that Republican strongholds had not yet
4: reported?
2: Yeah. So it was really about the day of voters. You know, so just the folks that went in that day to a voting polling center and cast their ballots. There were thousands upon thousands of those that had not yet been counted across the district. And there were what's called ballot swaps. So basically ballots that were outstanding that maybe somebody dropped off in the Denver box, but they needed to send it to Arapahoe County. Those things were floating around in the mail still.
1: But basically, because Republicans were encouraged to vote day of, there was more of that on your side than there was for Democrat Amy Patton, right?
2: Yeah, that's pretty much the way it shook out. And I think that's generally the case, that Republicans vote more on the day of in Colorado now.
1: Right. But especially this year with Donald Trump encouraging it. And that makes perfect sense to me. It's so... I did not want Donald Trump to win. I voted for Joe Biden. And I went to bed thinking, "Uh uh-oh. But then I knew that there was a law that was the inverse in Pennsylvania and some other states to what Colorado has, because Colorado, they get to count the votes that come in before election day. So those are ready to go. In Pennsylvania, their Republican legislature said, we're not going to count till after the election day voters. So of course, Donald Trump was way ahead. We weren't sure if he would catch up, but we knew there was a good chance of it just like you knew that you might catch up. So does that make sense to you?
2: Oh, yeah. And I think that's interesting because out in Florida, for instance, you remember on election night, those results came in pretty early, pretty fast. Yes, And everybody said, okay, Donald Trump has won Florida. And that's because they allow them to count those you know, mail-in ballots, uh, absentee ballots in advance.
1: Do you remember Virginia? It looked like Trump was way ahead and you said, whoa, he's going to win Virginia. But then it just was a function of where they were getting the votes from, right?
2: Yeah, I, I suppose that's right. I will confess that on election night, I was focused a whole lot more on what was happening in my four counties than I was on what was happening nationally. So I'm not sure about Virginia, but yeah, it certainly sounds right.
1: And you'll forgive the rest of us that we were focused on the national election, although I cared a lot, but I thought, hey, there are two good professionals running in the 18th JD. So I didn't really care. And as I've said on the air, and I will tell you, I am so adamantly opposed to Donald Trump that I just decided not to honor the Republican Party It has kind of bowed toward Trumpism, including the thing that really concerns me now for what we do for a living, I mean, the justice system, is that our country is divided. I don't know how you're going to get 12 people to agree on much because we don't start from the same boilerplate. And I'm worried about big lies. And I applaud Amy Patton. I've heard you do it on other shows because she accepted her defeat, even though she had a lead at one point. And to me, Donald Trump lost substantially. And for him to perpetuate this big ballot lie is just destructive of democracy. And to me, it bleeds out into all aspects of our life, including your big new job. So you can say, Craig, I don't want to talk about that. This is the collegial environment of Craig's Lawyer's Lounge, but you've got a four-year term. Nobody's going to take that away from you. And Am I wrong to worry that the Republicans have been captured by Donald Trump and does that mean you're captured John?
2: I got a couple of things I'd say about Please. that. I mean, first of all, I'd suggest that I think your concern about people in the justice system, you know, juries for instance being able to come to conclusions, you know, accept facts for facts, uh, that's not something I've seen. I mean, I've been practicing for the last well, about 15 years as a prosecutor, and certainly in the last four years under Donald Trump's administration, that's not something I've seen from jurors where they're not coming from the same place as you said. When you get into court and you're instructed on the law, and people tell you, hey, here are the facts, and then you see the people present the facts and you hear them cross examine, you really get to witness truth in action and then decide the credibility of people and decide what you believe. So that's not a concern I have so much as generally speaking, that there's a degradation, and this is not necessarily a Republican thing, but I think it's across the board, there's a degradation in public trust in government in general. I mean, you don't have to look too much farther than what we've always seen in terms of Congress's approval ratings as an entity as a whole. And more and more, I think people are losing faith in some of their you know, government officials, people are supposed to be leaders. Some of that has to do with lack of transparency.
1: When you say some of that has to do with lack of transparency, John, what are you thinking about?
2: I'm thinking about a lot of things. People are seeing from their government a lot of sort of the end result, what happens after decisions are made. And one of the things for me as a newly elected DA is I want to be as transparent as I possibly can. Of course, you know there's ethical rules that require me as a prosecutor not to pre-try a case in the public in the media. So there's limitations on the sort of information I can give out. But when I can, to me, it's important that we have this public-facing side of the job where I'm going out and people from my office are going out to the community to explain what we're doing and hopefully, you know, get buy-in and trust in the fact the way we're doing this job in their name. you know, And I've said this a lot. When I go into court and you did this back in the day, and I say, John Kellner for the people, when I enter my appearance, that's something that people that take on this role as a prosecutor feel very passionate about. They want to do the right thing and they want to do it in a way that represents the community values. So talking about our processes, talking about the good things we're doing, not just, hey, somebody got locked up for X number of years for committing some you know, violent crime. That's just sort of the tip of the iceberg of what we do as prosecutors. There's things like problem-solving courts, like the Veterans Treatment Court that I helped set up. There's things like our diversion program. I think we've got the best juvenile diversion program in the state, but we don't talk about it enough and people don't know about it. So the more we get out there, the more we talk about these things, I think the greater trust folks in the community are going to have in us.
1: God bless you for saying that. And yes, I took immense pride in representing the people of the state of Colorado. And when I'd rest my case, I'd say it that way. The people of the state of Colorado rest. And it's an awesome thing that state prosecutors have that power. And we can do more for an innocent person or even an arguably innocent person. I expect it's true for you, John, that if somebody in your mind may be innocent. You've got no interest in prosecuting them for sport. All you need is reasonable doubt. And you have plenty of cases. That's the thing about the 18th. You're not hurting for cases. If somebody isn't in your mind, provably guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, what do you do?
2: Well, then you don't try the case. I mean, you you have to dismiss that case. If you don't think somebody is guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, you have no business bringing that case forward to a jury and I think this is one of those important things that people are starting to learn about prosecutors and I want to emphasize is it's not about scoring points by hey we convicted x number of people that has nothing to do with it justice is not measured by some particular number justice is measured by having a fair process that ensures a fair result a just result so you know we don't sit around until war stories. I'm sure you've got some that have to do with, hey, I took this case where maybe somebody might have been innocent and convicted. And that's a terrible thing. And frankly, that's unethical and it's wrong. It's not the kind of office I'm ever going to run. And certainly nobody that works for me is going to have that sort of mindset. We want to do the right thing for the right reasons.
1: How do you hire people? what will be your criteria? Are you looking for competitive people, compassionate people? What kind of people?
2: Yeah, all the above. I mean, I think when you're talking about people who make weighty decisions that impact a lot of folks' lives, not just defendants' lives, but victims and community members that have an interest in the outcome of cases, I'm always looking for somebody who has an open mind, who's willing to accept that they might be wrong about something, because you'll appreciate this about the adversarial system, right? It's not just the prosecutor walking in and saying, judge, this person needs to go to prison for X number of years. There's a process there. The defense attorneys oftentimes bring us mitigation, extenuating circumstances, let us know more about their client so that hopefully that adversarial push-pull process results in a just result that a judge then says, yes, I think that's appropriate in this case. So open mind is, is really important. Life experience is very important. I'm sure you saw this as a prosecutor too. A lot of times you got those young prosecutors in county court and they've got a case that they think is really just the biggest thing since sliced bread. Like This is an important, important case and they're fighting tooth and nail about something that really when you take a step back, it's not the trial of the century right? And you take a step back and you realize, okay, this person might need to be in a diversion program rather than potentially looking at a a week of jail or something like that. So that and diverse backgrounds and experiences, I think that's what leads to good judgment and good outcomes for cases.
1: What's going on in the community? Is crime up, down? I mean, there's less commerce. People are hunkered down. COVID is terrible. You are a major public official now, What's your advice for your constituents and what warnings would you have about criminal activity?
2: Well, definitely the warning right now that I think most public officials are talking about from a prosecution perspective is, a hey, watch out for fraud when it comes to things like fake COVID tests, fake COVID vaccines, people promising you some sort of early access to a vaccine. You've got to be very concerned about people that are promising those. And that's been an issue, I think, from the very beginning of the pandemic, in terms of fraud, crime is going up in different ways. You know, in Aurora, for instance, we've seen a pretty dramatic spike in homicides. We've seen an increase in shootings, aggravated assaults, and the 30 plus percentage points last time I saw. So that's concerning. You know, juvenile violence in certain parts of our district is a definite concern. We want to make sure we get some kids out of these bad situations where they're making bad decisions. I mentioned earlier that Colorado Sun opinion piece I wrote about child abuse and, and really what that was about was kids at school are in contact with mandatory reporters, people that if they see a bruise on a child, have to report something that if they're concerned about that child's welfare. And that dropped down dramatically when we went to remote learning. And really, my encouragement to anybody in our community is check in on each other. You know, domestic violence survivors could be in really bad spots because they're not around their friends who might be able to see what's happening and help them and encourage them to maybe report a crime. So what we can do is, as good neighbors and citizens is check in on people, check in on them, let them know you care, let them know you're there if something's wrong. that that's a big concern of mine as we kind of navigate the many changes frankly in, in crime rates we've seen things like auto thefts skyrocket auto thefts went up dramatically for a time when businesses were shut down we had an increase in burglaries for businesses you know that's kind of tapered off for the most part but as we wind through the pandemic and the different restrictions by you know our elected officials by the governor these things have changed dramatically so keep an eye out for your fellow citizen.
1: And because Craig's lawyer's lounge is so collegial, I didn't want to push back or pin you down too much about what's going on in society. But I just worry about the impact on the justice system. And you're right. We haven't seen it in court, but we haven't been in court really in a long time. And I've never in my lifetime seen an election challenged. And I've seen you make the rounds of local media and I think you are singing the song that Colorado really does have a gold standard when it comes to elections. Am I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but didn't the Colorado election, and specifically the one that you narrowly bested a Democrat, Amy Patton, wasn't that fair? And aren't elections fair in Colorado?
2: I think so. And I, I've said that publicly. I, I don't have any problem saying that. I think most people agree that in the state of Colorado, you know, we've got a, a good system. Accounting is fair. It's accurate. You know, as you get into this and you're, you're running for office, and you start seeing, you know, the different parties have election judges who work together to come up with answers on sort of nebulous ballots on who maybe somebody intended to vote for if they didn't fill it out properly or all the way. You know, things like that. There's a lot of checks and balances, audits after the fact, where they take out a, a bunch of votes and they check them by hand and they run them through the system again. Uh, I think we've got a, a really clean, effective system in the state of Colorado.
1: But what if Amy Penn would have said, "What if there's no signature audit?" Let's second guess whether that signature looks exactly like Trish Silverman. Oh, did she write Patricia? Oh, let's disqualify. I mean, it's a big point we have over 100 legislators. And here in Colorado, Pat Neville and Van Winkle, they've introduced something questioning Colorado's electoral process. I'm just kind of throwing out a nice slow pitched softball for you, John Keldner, as a responsible Republican, for people who want to like Republicans again, for somebody to say, you know what? That's a misplaced adventure on the part of these Republicans. And it seems designed to buttress an audience of one who's attacking Dominion systems, Dominion voting systems out of Colorado. And can you, John Kellner, say, I would not go along with that? I think it's fair.
2: I think what you're asking is broader than just a a statement like that. So, So here's the deal. I do agree. And I think everybody agrees. And this is across... You know all the whole political spectrum is that you want to know that your election systems are secure and that legal votes are counted and illegal votes are not counted. That makes perfect sense to everybody who takes the time to fill out a ballot. The challenge here and I think what you see across the country is that Colorado has this system but they didn't build it in you know it wasn't a plane built in flight. It was a system of really a collaborative system over many years to come up with what we have, which is a really good mail-in voting system. The rest of the country, because of the pandemic in a lot of places, they kind of had to scratch this thing together at the last minute. And for people to have concerns about how some of that was done, I get that. That makes sense. I can tell you what I think about Colorado, which is, you know, this was a thing that took many years to implement and it was Republican secretaries of state, Republican and Democrat clerks across the entire state that built this system. And I think people should take comfort in the fact that in Colorado, I think we do have that gold standard.
1: With mail and ballots. And we have a president of the United States and a lot of Republicans saying it can never be fair with mail and ballots. And Roger Stone, who was prosecuted and convicted, now his sentence has been commuted and soon it will be pardoned. I've spoken to him. He confesses to being a dirty trickster. He registered that name, stopped this deal to explain the loss to Hillary Clinton that did not happen in 2016. But it was a catchy slogan and they kept it from moment one. It would be like Amy Patton from moment one, even before the election, saying Keldner's going to cheat, stop the steal. And it's just not the way to conduct things. And here's my other concern, John, and you're highly educated. And I bet you know about World War II and the rise of the Third Reich was built on a big lie. And the big lie was, well, we really didn't lose World War One. We were sold out by saboteurs who were these people who are non-Aryan, including the Jewish people. And it was a ridiculous big lie, but it festered and it grew. And I don't see Donald Trump going away. So I just confess to you my concerns because I am your constituent and it's bothering me. Can you allay my concerns? Do you see what I'm worried about? This big lie being backed up by Ken Buck, Doug Lamborn, Van Winkle, Neville. They're all trying to say, Dominion voting system that allowed John Kellner to win was somehow sabotaged against Donald Trump. They've chased away a good guy, Eric Kumar, who wrote an op-ed in the Denver Post about how he's had to flee his home and his family is under threat. Can you, as the chief law enforcement officer for me and millions of others, can you say something about that?
2: Well, sure. I think it's fair to say as a chief law enforcement officer that if there's voter fraud, in our judicial district and it's something that we can prosecute because we ethically can bring those charges forward, then yeah, that's something that people can rest assured I'll treat very seriously. You know, listen, you're talking about a bunch of different people and statements that I frankly haven't seen from you know, different legislators. You ought to ask them what their opinions are on it. And I've certainly, from the best of my ability, told you that I think in Colorado, we've got a, a fair and good system now. I would also kind of point you back to your concerns about the court systems, and I would generally say this, seeing what it's like in other countries like Afghanistan, where they don't have the rule of law, where they don't have a system in place, where the courts may be deciding challenges between two parties and coming up with what they think is the right answer based off the law. And there's a lot of talk about that in our country right now what about the rule of law? And I would say, look at what, if you're concerned about people making challenges to the elections, those are happening in court and they're being denied in court or potentially granted in court and people are appealing and exercising those legal rights. That's not something that people should be concerned about. That's something that people should applaud that at least in our country, we've got a system where people are going to go and try to resolve matters under the law the way that they should be.
1: I love it. And I'm a big believer in the judicial system. And I think we share a lot of the same feelings from our CU law education. Our work as prosecuted for many years. Now you've got a bigger job than I could ever imagine. But even when the Supreme Court rejects this Texas case, it will stick that over 100 sitting Republicans. Back this play to really destroy democracy, and that 17 attorney generals, maybe it'll get up to 20, whatever. And you can hear people accused of crimes get on their podcasts and whip the people up. And the president of the United States, when this judicial ruling goes against him, and when his own attorney general says, I can't back this, Mr. President, he's going to turn on them and he's going to attack the courts. And the A G and that's where I think that problem is gonna be for you and me, John. And you're in a powerful position. So I appreciate you listening to my rant. I don't expect any more, but thanks for listening to my concerns.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's something that all elected officials have to do is showing up is sort of the bare minimum. You know, listening and then hopefully acting on things is, is what you'd expect. But seeking justice, I think in my role and when you're talking about things you're talking about that's making sure that in our jurisdiction where i have the authority that people feel confident in their elections and their election process and that's really what i pledge to do and work with all of our clerks in the counties because really what happens after any election as we start to see things come into our office from the clerk's referrals of possible you know fraud and it's it's Small, to be honest, it's usually less than a dozen or so, but those are all things we look into, and those are things we take extremely seriously.
1: And sure, and if there's a grand conspiracy, you I hope you're good at that, because you can use grand jury, and sometimes there are elaborate conspiracies, but to me, to have some conspiracy affecting Georgia, Nevada, Arizona, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin- There would be a lot of different people involved. It would be impossible to keep that quiet. And that's the old prosecutor in me. I really appreciate your time, John Kellner. I can see how smart you are and can hear a protege of George Brockler. If the guy needs a job, will you give him one?
2: (laughs) He's got to ask.
1: What is he going to do?
2: And that is the number one question I think people ask me. And honestly, I don't know. I know he's got his radio show, and I know he's got writing for The Post, but his next steps, you'd have to ask him.
1: He is something else. We have not heard the last of George Brockler, that's for sure. But you, John Kellner, you're probably in there for a long time. Good luck in your first term and do justice.
2: Thank you, Craig. I really do appreciate that come back here and maybe get to that. What did you say? Lounge lizard status eventually.
1: Right. It's the third time you're officially a lizard. Brockler is so far (laughs) past that. I don't even know what his title is, but it's great to talk to you, John. And let's set that as a goal for you to be better than George Brockler. You can do it.
2: Thanks, Craig. I appreciate you having me on. All
1: right. Thank you, Lieutenant Colonel. Thanks again. And Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Really pleased to make your acquaintance.
2: Same to you. Take care
1: law llc.com
0: now back to the greg silverman show
1: troubadour happy hanukkah happy hanukkah to you my friend do you know what trish is making even as we speak latkes can you smell them across the street there
10: i wish i could
1: well wait till they get frying oh boy it's exciting (laughs) what are your best memories of hanukkah
10: Oh, well, being around the table with my family, of course, singing, singing the great Hanukkah songs.
1: (inaudible) Motsuri Yeshua Si, otherwise known as Rockabages. My father would
10: sing, whether free or feathered, he would always like to make that, say, "feathered." he would make feathered, and and I... uh, Anyway.
1: Boy, that's a new stanza of Rock of Ages. I know Rock <laughs> of Ages, let our song praise thy saving power. Thou amidst the raging storm, West our sheltering tower, furious they assailed us, but thine yes. arm availed us. That's and it. thy word broke their sword when our own strength failed us. Powerful words. But where is that feathered or free step?
10: Rock of Ages, hear our song, weather free or fettered. Now amidst the raging storm, on thy sheltering t- I don't know exactly, but <laughs> it, it, the feathers are in there somewhere.
1: And then you have to sing the dreidel song. I had a little dreidel.
10: Yes, and we would, we would sing that. And of course, that was in, well when I was a kid. And of course, I carried on the tradition. And we had dreidels made of all kinds of things in my household where the girls would sing. Anyway, the, the, the songs continue generation to generation. It's wonderful.
1: But we have a new song for Hanukkah from our troubadour, Dave Gunders. I love it. Tell everybody about it. Well, Craig, like
10: most of my songs, you are adept at bending them to your will. And this song actually was inspired by the Wizard of Oz, the Tin Man, who had no heart. Well, I think we can segue into Hanukkah because... My family always watches The Wizard of Oz when we get together for holidays. And my kids know better than to interrupt or talk at all when Dorothy sings Somewhere Over the Rainbow.
1: That is one of my all-time favorites. And I love that movie. Still do, except the flying monkeys scare the crap out of me.
10: I still have nightmares.
1: But then the tin man, when I think of tin, I think of one of the favorite parts of Hanukkah, and that is getting Hanukkah gelt. Gelt can be money, real money, or it can be funny money, chocolate money wrapped in tin.
10: In gold tin, that's right. You're my master of of the segue.
1: But you, you're ahead of your time. You wrote a song about you could be dancing with the stars, beautiful lyric, or but instead you're dancing with the ten man. Right. I think this should be the theme for that TV show, Dancing with the Stars.
10: Well, count me in. Right. <laughs> if they haven't jumped on the song yet, I think it's unlikely at this point. But my thinking was not it had nothing to do with the show. It was about, the it was dancing with the stars, the more romantic notion of that.
1: Right. And I know you, because we take walks, we comment on the trees, and every once in a while we will see a tree that looks like a menorah, but my favorite tree That's right. is a Hanukkiah. And what's the difference between a Chanukia and a menorah?
10: There is no difference.
1: You're wrong. Okay. I can then educate me- you. Then a tell menorah me. has room for seven candles, a Hanukkiah has right. nine.
10: Now, what's that all about?
1: That's the big difference. Now, the holiday of Hanukkah, what was the light that they needed with the uh, oil to burn for one day, but it lasted eight? What were they right. talking about?
10: Right. So how is it the, the Hanukkiah has nine?
1: Because the oil lasted for eight days, but not in a menorah. And to me, the the eternal light, which is what you maintain at every synagogue, including the great temple, which is where that special oil needed to be transported. Anyway, Hanukkah is the festival of lights. And what are the ultimate lights for us?
10: The stars, Craig, the stars above.
1: Let's listen to the Tin Man and all about the stars what a great song by dave kunders our troubadour say Thanks, happy Greg. hanukkah happy hanukkah to you thank you
11: thinking of a broken heart i wish i had a heart could get broken but my chest is hollow and i ain't joking come skipping along looking for the man to take you home but you found the time to make me shine I know you got the mind to make it I know you got the nerve to take it telling you so you understand If I had a heart, it'd be in your hands You could be dancing with the stars Dancing with the stars You could be dancing with the stars But you dance with the tin man I wish I had the nerve to say I'd feel so good when you come my way Something's beating and it won't slow down So give me that magic touch The one that gets me loosened up The one that seems to get me breathing So much now to take in I was just a man forsaken Me stumbling Me falling Dreaming of a girl like you Who could be dancing with the stars Dancing with the stars With the stars but you dance with the tin man I stumble and fall Thought I'd done it all But I'd done nothing Till I met you My heart tells me That I love you dance danced with the Tin Man, you danced with the Tin Man, you danced with the Tin Man.
1: Hey there, I'm not going to take a lot of your time. I've been a lawyer almost 40 years, my brother was a lawyer, my father a Denver lawyer, my grandfather, a Denver lawyer. If you have a legal problem, call me. 303-861-2800. 303-861-2800. If I'm not the right lawyer for you, I bet I know somebody who is. 303-861-2800.
0: Thank you. Now back to The Fred Silverman Show.
2: Welcome to Craig's Lawyer's Lounge.
3: Hello, Mr. Silverman. Mr.
1: Downey, how are you?
3: I am doing very well. How are you?
1: I am fantastic talking to a lounge lizard. You know, on your third (laughs) appearance, you get to be a lounge lizard. This might be your fourth, though.
3: This is my fourth. I'm thrilled to be back. What do you think is
1: beyond a lizard? Is it an alligator?
3: It's an alligator. It's uh, what are what are those big monsters in the in, in the uh, in monster? South America? Yeah, let's go with that.
1: You are a lounge hela monster.
3: <laughs>
1: let's go with that. I love it. Welcome to the podcast. We are recording Thank right you. now.
3: It's wonderful to be back.
1: Let me tell you, it's fantastic to have you back in the lounge because as we record this late Friday afternoon, there is a case sitting on the front step of the U.S. Supreme Court. Now, I happen to know a prominent Denver lawyer who went to Georgetown Prep in the outskirts of Washington, D.C. with not just Neil Gorsuch, but also with Justice Brett Kavanaugh, and that is Tom Downey. God, what a great timing. What are they going to (laughs) do?
3: Well, my best guess is that they are meeting this afternoon and that the decision will be unanimous. There will be a short opinion that will come out in advance of Monday's meeting of the Electoral College, and it will simply reject the petition from the Texas Attorney General. That's it.
1: Without dissent.
3: Without dissent, it will not be a significant opinion. My guess is that it's unanimous. As you've heard from some other significant Republicans out there, the very arguments that are being made by the Republican Texas Attorney General, the arguments that are being made run counter to Some of the very fundamental stances of the Federalist Society and those that have promoted it for decades and decades and decades. What would Justice Scalia have done? And President Trump, in picking Justice Gorsuch, Justice Kavanaugh, and Justice Tony Barrett, picked from the slate of the Federalist Society. And the idea that One state can interfere with another state's laws, how they choose to do something. It has an awful lot of those who believe in Federalist principles beside themselves.
1: Okay, but all of that is prior to Donald Trump. And let me submit that the damage has been done. With 17 AGs, now it's up over 20, I think, 20 of our States in the United States of America have signed on to this bullshit and then to have over a hundred and now it increased by twenty today. Republican congressmen like that piece of shit, Ken Buck and Doug <laughs> Lamborn sign on to this attempt to destroy democracy. I'm a little pissed. I think the damage has been done. And when the Supreme Court rejects it, they'll say, well like that's like Bill Barr, they're part of deep state now. And a certain percentage of the population will go along with it, Tom Downey.
3: I think you're exactly right. The issue is that these are not members of Congress or attorneys general that are acting as Republicans. They are either asking as Trumpists or as people that want to get publicity and to shore up a certain base that they need for the upcoming 2022 elections. This is about politics. No one thinks that it is about the law. So far, every one of the federal judges, every one of the Republican-appointed federal judges, every one of the Trump-appointed federal judges that has touched any of these Trump-initiated cases, Giuliani fought cases, Ellis fought cases, has sided against President Trump. These are not Republican arguments. These are Trump arguments.
1: Right, but is and Ken Buck, the head of the Colorado Republican Party and our senior elected Republican in Colorado, guy used to play Lawyers League basketball with, a guy I respected as a prosecutor in the U.S. attorney's office, and then when he ascended to be Weld County D.A., he puts his name on this, and he is a gila monster, too, like you. He's been in Craig <laughs> Flores Lodge about four times. Am I wrong to turn on him like this, or is my agitation misplaced?
3: No, I think your agitation is, is absolutely correct. And And another way to phrase your question is what is going to become of the Republican Party? The Republican Party that I respect and have so many friends who are business Republicans who believe in uh, fiscal responsibility, personal responsibility, strength abroad in how they handle things. And that is gone. And it is Trumpism. However, when you look at Colorado, the state of Colorado has rejected Trumpism. Trump lost here in the primary in 2016. Trump lost here in the general election in 2016. Trump lost here in the general election in 2020. And so I And very proud as part of my legal practice to be one of the Democrats that Republicans like working with, to be seen as a reasonable Democrat, someone who gets things done and, you know, who's a proud Democrat and and we have fun together, but someone who Republicans view as not a nut job, which is a, you know, it's it's good for my, my pocketbook for Republicans to see me that way. And I spend a great deal of time with Republicans, Republicans whom I truly respect. But there is a genuine split in just the Colorado Republican Party, and my practice is not just Metro Denver. I represent a lot of big and small clients, including government entities, authorities on the other side of the continent divide. And I've got to tell you, I do not think that Ken Buck and the other true Trumpers truly represent the current Republican Party in Colorado, as we have seen with how Coloradans have voted in the past.
1: Yeah, they just elected Lauren Boebert. How do you explain that?
3: No, her district elected her.
1: Right. But that's the other side of the continental divide. The people you're talking about who are going to be normal. I don't see Lauren Boebert coming down to earth anytime soon. I don't see Ken Buck either. He's announced it. You got Doug Lamborn, who's entrenched in El Paso County. You got Michelle Malkin stirring up trouble down there. And I think the Republican Party will be out of power in Colorado in statewide office, but they can still do a lot of damage. And the proof is kind of the talk radio world that I was once a part of. Those guys, they've created a monster Tom Downey, Donald Trump's base is the biggest constituency in the Republican Party. So nobody who wants Republican office can offend that. And that's a big problem.
3: No, that's exactly right. The question is, what's going to happen next? And there are some that and I am not one uh, with rose colored glasses who thinks that it's going to go away, that it's going to go away completely or significantly. But there will be some diminution right it is 85 percent right now or something like that 80 percent of republicans minimum 70 percent depending on how you read the polls of republicans that don't find biden's win to have been legitimate if as i predict and many predict and it sounds like you predict the supreme court comes down against this lawsuit by the texas attorney general then that will change some minds. If it is an opinion that comes down in advance of the Electoral College meeting on Monday, then that will be even more powerful. If it is unanimous, it will be even more powerful. If it is not just unanimous, but without even concurring opinions that differ some, it'll be even stronger. If it comes down tomorrow and it is a terse one sentence with no dissent, and it is unanimous, then it will be very powerful. And then the Electoral College votes and no more appeals, that will chip away and there will be some shrinking. And then for those who, among the Trump supporters, the Trump followers, the one, there are some who are true believers. There are others that vote that way, that support them in Congress because they're scared of them. They're scared of a tweet. They're scared of a primary opponent. And those will slip away as he no longer has actual governmental power. So there will be some slipping. We just don't know whether that's a 10% drop or a 50% drop. We'll also see what happens, what he does with what's next. If he decides to run for re-election, is everyone still going to be so scared that they stay away? Or once the first person says, no, he can't just have it, I'm going to run, the first one that you know out of the foxhole, who else is going to come, and then, if the tide turns, I think it will turn quickly. I don't think his base is going to go away completely; I think he will always have a very strong base, but it cannot remain as high and as passionate as it is.
1: yeah, that's why you're a Gila monster because I like your predictions and your <laughs> optimism, and you can work with all sorts of people, but you're Predicating this on it being a 9 0 decision today. And if it is today, we're going to call you back and get you on the line if it drops between now and Saturday morning. But what if your pal Neil or Brett or Amy, I don't know if you didn't go to school with Amy, but you went to school with the no, other No, How did that
3: happen? How did she get appointed without going to high school with us? It's because
1: she's getting way too old like the rest yeah. of us. All right, tell everybody about how you know Neil and Brett just to refresh them.
3: <laughs> well, I wouldn't call us pals. I was in I the same high school. <laughs> I was in the same high school class as, as Brett Kavanaugh in nineteen eighty three. There were a hundred of us in the class. We may be political, quite different, but he's a brilliant guy. He was quite smart in high school. as you and I have talked about before, he was captain the basketball team. I was a theater nerd leading all the plays. And while we did have some true jerks in our high school, like everyone, he was not. He treated me like gold. He was terrific. I clerked for a circuit court judge in Maryland after high school while he was clerking for Justice Kennedy. His mom was on the same bench as uh, the judge I clerked for. So We stayed in in regular touch. We were not close, but quite friendly. I'd see him at reunions and
1: have a beer with him. You know, the guy likes beer.
3: I know the guy likes beer. I've been at reunion functions with him and, you know, after parties and those kinds of things. And yes, of course, we were at the same parties in high school. Not the infamous one. I I never heard of that one.
1: I wouldn't talk about it either.
3: (laughs) And Neil Gorsuch, he was two years behind us. Super smart. We were in a play together, uh, the odd couple. So got to know him very well for a short amount of time and very smart. He had to hold his own as a sophomore in in a tight group of, of senior what friends. was his part he was oh i forget the guy's name what about you did you play poker together we did it was you know it's a, it's a small group where we all play poker uh, i was the Slav, oscar madison and he was i forget his character's name
1: but he didn't have a lead as felix you were a big star because you were the senior you had the oscar role
3: i was a lead i was oscar there was another senior that was felix the other lead and he was one of the poker players. We were all the poker buddies, and Neil came prepared. He he memorized his lines. He was quite mature. His mom was the EPA director for President Reagan. She was under significant fire in the Washington Post almost every day on news, and Neil handled himself incredibly well. You never would have known what was going on and he handled himself so well. He came up with sight gag jokes and memorized his lines and he did incredibly well. I was just very impressed. Our show got picked for a competition. We got to go to New York and he was terrific. He was terrific. I would see him at functions when he was on the bench in New York. I'm friends with his brother, and and he's terrific. I I disagree with him on most things politically, but he is ridiculously smart, excellent writer. And, you know, like we talked about before, my hope in supporting him was that Justice Kennedy-like, that he would be a conservative that I would mostly disagree with, but that on a handful of key issues that he would, in my mind, vote the correct way. We saw that with his opinion earlier this year, where he wrote a just a superb opinion siding with the chief justice and the other Democratic appointed justices on where where he just uh, wrote so eloquently that sex and sexuality are indistinguishable in securing rights for non-heterosexuals, which was terrific.
1: And he went against Donald Trump a little bit, but not on something that Trump was passionate about. And while you and I are. Accomplished in our own right. We remember important moments in our life. I think I first heard of you as the state director for the Al Gore campaign (laughs) 20 years ago. So that's in the year 2000. And then, of course, I ran against Bill Ritter for Denver DA in 1996. It just, Uh those were big moments, but nothing like (laughs) the president of the United States calling me up and saying, hey, Craig, or hey, Tom. I'm going to put you on the Supreme Court, okay? when you come by the Oval Office. So your old buddies, Brett and Neil, they have to be thinking this very moment late on a Friday about how is Donald Trump going to react? And we already know the answer to that. He expects loyalty. He does expect quid pro quo. And Mm -hmm. he's going to be pissed if they don't deliver. He's made that clear in his public pronouncements. And it's got to yeah. be running through their mind. You know these two guys. What do you think?
3: Again, I don't pretend to know them well, especially today. And I know Brett far more than I know Neil. But I got to tell you, I don't think either of them thinks they owe the president anything. And I do believe that they are true Federalists, that they view the law as the reason that they are on the bench. And their loyalty is to know individual or no cause, and they don't really care if the president is angry with them. It's not just hope I truly believe that they will vote what they believe. And having read for years and years <laughs> their opinions, I just can't imma- I don't know about Amy Tony Barrett, but for Justices Gorsuch and Kavanaugh, I can't imagine them agreeing with this. Their idea of federalism, their idea of states' rights.
1: Right, but Tom, Tom, I, I hate to bring up a, a terrible memory for you, but Bush v. Gore, didn't all the justices change places on equal protection just to get to the result that happened to coincide with people who put him on the bench?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think Breyer spoke openly about him regretting that. And the court went out of its way to say this opinion should not be viewed as having any precedent and you know you heard the whispers afterwards that they were embarrassed by that i don't think this is the same thing this is different you know bush v gore was a real controversy yeah this is not this is the big lie this is the big lie and if you're a justice do you want to i mean if you're going to bend on something you can bend. You can you can worm your way out to find some procedural argument or, you, you know, I mean, and they have done that. Right. I mean, you know, Dred Scott was a horrible opinion. And Justice Tawny, he died in shame, except in his own mind. And, you know, there's been a history of courts being able to find ways to get to where they want to go. I don't know how any reasonable justice can find a way to get where they want to go on this one. You know, I mean, if Texas can do this, then Texas can overturn my driver's license, my Colorado driver's license, because it's a matter of national importance, because, uh, you know, I can drive on Texas's highways because they've got to recognize my Colorado driver's license. I have more of a physical impact on the safety of Texas residents because of my Colorado driver's license and my proximity to El Paso than Wisconsin voters do on Texas's role in the presidential election.
1: Didn't this issue just come up in a field that you are very familiar with on marijuana? Didn't some state sue Colorado and it got thrown out?
3: Exactly. They, you know, they could have if they wanted to, because it was hypothetical. It was, yes, we were sued by Kansas and others saying, hey, Colorado, you have this federally illegal marijuana structure and state, the suing state, we are asking you, the Supreme Court, to tell Colorado to shut it down. It now has this recreational marijuana structure that is illegal. They're breaking the law. And so we're saying, Supreme Court... Tell them to stop it because it has an impact because it spills over the line. And in essence, you know, what the Supreme Court does is they take their time. They usually farm it out to a master, the same as the Supreme Court did when uh, New York and New Jersey sued each other over Ellis Island, right? Those are the kinds of cases that happen. Colorado and Kansas sued each other over water rights. They farm it out to a master. They take their time. They get a report because, you know, there are real controversies here. In that one, in the in the marijuana case, this U.S. Supreme Court farmed it out to a master. They read it. They took their time. They were judicious <laughs> in their approach to it. And in the end, they said, yeah, it's not a real issue. It's just hypothetical because we don't have an actual case here. It is that They may, just because the law says that in Colorado they can do this, doesn't mean that there is an actual person who's doing it, and it certainly doesn't mean that they are certainly going to cross the border into Kansas. Now, we all knew that, you know, it was going to happen, and it has happened, but it was the Supreme Court taking its time to say, nah, shut up, Kansas. In the water rights issue, that one ended up settling. Colorado and Kansas settled that dispute, but it took its time, and it it was the pressure of a Supreme Court case and being in front of the magistrate that happened. In this case, the idea, uh, the possibility of them simply saying no and doing it by this weekend in advance of the Electoral College would be an extreme smackdown. But you are right. This This is what has happened before, and just because one state sues another does not mean they have to take it and follow the normal course
1: right nothing is normal right now in fact there's (laughs) another gila monster that i have to talk about it's not just ken buck and you but you know who's in that club is jenna ellis and i kind of took a club to her in the new york (laughs) times but i did warn her ahead of time when we come back i I want to talk to you about that i want to see if you think it was a fair shot and then i want to Still keep probing this idea of loyalty to the guy who brought you to the dance when we come back with Tom Downey and Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. When we talk about medical directives, what sort of qualities are we looking for there?
4: You're looking for somebody who cares about you, somebody who wants to take care of you, but also somebody who's not afraid of making that decision because you know bad things might happen. You know if if you have a, a son or a daughter who you know absolutely you know is the stereotypical mama's boy and can't imagine anything bad ever happening to his mom and then suddenly has to make a decision about what kind of surgery mom needs to have or you know are we going to what treatment option are we going to have for mom and paralyzed by oh no i can't have anything bad happen to mom not the right person so you want somebody who can look at a situation still loves their Still loves the person, but is able to do do what's right and do what's necessary for your parents or for whoever you have that you're acting on behalf of.
1: Call my lawyer, Michael Bailey. His rates are reasonable, and he can meet with you and your spouse wherever you want and on weekends and evenings, 720-394-6887 or online at mblawllc.com.
0: Now... Back to The Craig Silverman Show.
1: And we're back. Tom Downey, I know you've thought about Jenna Ellis in my column. You had a great column in The Colorado Sun about Donald Trump in Florida, but <laughs> I like my fellow Colorado lawyers and my mentor, Brooke Wanneke, who I referenced in my column, mm-hmm. she taught us to always treat people with courtesy and respect, but that doesn't mean we have to be a punching bag or if our peers are doing something that we consider unprofessional, we can't call that out. I'm embarrassed for the Colorado bar because of Jenna Ellis. I've never said she needs to be disbarred or this or that, although others have suggested some kind of professional grievance. But I love the headline they put on my column, which is, Colorado lawyers should be better than Jenna Ellis. Did you agree (laughs) with that?
3: I agreed with that. I did a fist bump without you here, an extremely socially distanced fist bump to my friend Craig Silverman. When I read that, I thought it was wonderful. And then I thought to myself, you know what? I am sure that I have misspelled Louisiana at some point, but lawyering 101 these days is simply hitting spell check.
1: Right. She has issues, but what about the lawyers? And now it's Ken Buck. Let's punch up a little more. He's a lawyer. And for him to sign on to this, it's a constitutional coup, isn't it?
3: Yeah, and the first thing it says about him is not that he's a bad lawyer or that he should be disbarred, but that he has become a politician first and a lawyer second. And I want to juxtapose him against John Cornyn of Texas. John Cornyn, if I remember right, was a judge before he was a U.S. senator. On
1: the Texas Supreme Court, too.
3: Texas Supreme Court. Thank you. Yes. And I'm not going to get his language right. But in this time where not only is his state's attorney general leading this and where so many others are following him off the cliff in just this mindless support of Donald Trump, That Cornyn not only didn't run off the cliff, too, but it would be easy for so many to remain silent and pathetic that way. But for Cornyn to stand up and actually say the opposite. And I don't remember exactly what he said, but
1: he just said that he'd never heard of a theory quite like this. And so he he just got elected. He's got six years. But what about the cowardice of Republicans like Cory Gardner or any lawyer? Isn't there a special responsibility for lawyers to speak out about this?
3: There is. And that's why when you ask about Ken Buck, I want to juxtapose him against John Cornyn, because both of them held government positions as attorneys. And they are so important. You do raise a key difference. Cornyn just got reelected; he's safe for the next six years, so he, he is politically safer to speak his mind. But man, oh man, oh man! You know, right now, profiles of courage, you know, is a pamphlet, not a book. And Cornyn was able to say it. And Buck, he's a politician; he's not a lawyer. And it is sad. It is so sad. You know, one of the things that almost no one talks about is Rule Eleven sanctions. And I don't see that happening anyplace here in any of these lawsuits. Certainly with this original jurisdiction suit, there won't be one. The other states, they're not going to slap back at their fellow attorneys general and file for Rule 11 sanctions. And the Supreme Court, not a trial court, they're certainly, especially if they issue a hearse ruling and don't take the case They're not going to step in on this. And the Biden-elect team has appropriately not stepped in, which I think is very important. It was the smart thing to do to not give it credibility. But there were dozens of other cases all around this, starting at the trial level. And I wish that someone against Ellis, against Giuliani, against one of the others, would file Rule 11 sanctions. I mean, you know, we've all... Not just heard, but some of us, you like me, have read some of the transcripts, the absurdity of some of these exchanges with not just judges, but Republican appointed judges, Trump appointed judges, where they're apoplectic in their dealings with some of these attorneys that are making these nonsense arguments and hearsay within hearsay and arguing definitions that are outlandish.
1: Right. But at the heart of the argument is they're accusing people of theft, a fraud to win the election, one of the biggest crimes ever. And pardon me for being an ex-prosecutor, but to accuse somebody of a crime of that magnitude and to say they stole something, stop this deal, which was a slogan cooked up by Roger Stone. How appropriate. They had this all engineered And doesn't it cross the line when you start accusing people of this kind of criminal conspiracy?
3: It does. And that's why Rule 11 exists. It is to stop behavior like this. It is you don't want lawyers to be able to do it because, hey, everyone gets away with it all the time. You want to send out that message. And that's just not happening here. There's just a story in The Washington Post. I think today about, now I forget which jurisdiction it's in, in one of these states where a state rep from one of those states got a hold of the list of alleged voters, illegal voters, fraudulent voters in her district filed by Giuliani and Ellis and went and went through the list. And there were people she knew, friends of hers. She went and made calls. She knocked on doors. And they weren't fraudulent at all. And so Giuliani and Ellis made these allegations without ever contacting these people. They weren't dead. They didn't double vote.
1: Right. Well, they put out a call for affidavits, you know, and of course, you're going to get a bunch of garbage. It's like you're trying <laughs> yeah. to solve Bonnet. Hey, here's a tip line. Can you tell us? And you're going to right. get all sorts of craziness. And that fills up Kaylee McEnany's folders. But I want to get back to politics because you were more of a political guy than me. I've always been stuck here on this island of independence, but you were a Democrat and if Al Gore was elected, you were going to be attorney general, at least in the second term, right?
3: (laughs) You're very kind. uh, What job were you should appreciate it. I don't know that I would have gotten any appointment. I might have begged and pleaded and got some little, little local appointment. But you've
1: gotten appointed by executives. Tell everybody about your big job with the city of Denver and how you got that job.
3: I ran the licensing department under Mayor Hancock when he first came in under Secretary of State Bernie Busher I uh, created and ran the what's now the Division of Business and Licensing and under Attorney General Ken Salazar I was in the licensing prosecution and the regulatory section there.
1: Right. So all these guys gave you good jobs. And maybe I could ask about Hancock leaving town for Thanksgiving, but I'd put you in a spot and you'd think, geez, you know, do I want to rip on Hancock? And again, back to Brett and Neil, what if they dissent? What if instead of 9 this afternoon or on Monday, somebody like Clarence Thomas and Amy Coney Barrett have a little two paragraph dissent? Isn't that a prescription for disaster for the country?
3: It is. So first of all, knowing the chief justice, and I only know him from everything that I've read and people who know him, former partners, and he is an institutionalist. He adores the court. You and I have talked about this before. And, you know, you read that he is devastated by those who now question the integrity of the court. And you can bet everything you own that he is working night and day to try and get a unanimous opinion on this. We think of Brown versus Board of Education.
1: 1956, Judge Thurgood Marshall (laughs) arguing the case, right?
3: Arguing the case. And it was Chief Justice Earl Warren. So the lore is that worked his tail off, arguing back and forth, keeping everyone in the chamber to get language to get an opinion that could be nine zero that you know we think of today it is you know the politics of the presidential race back then, it was racial segregation, an enormous hot topic that was of such importance, tearing the country apart, and as he was saying, then, if we don't get this right, if we have a split court, then we have a split country, and the only way to heal the country, and make sure the country moves forward, is by having unanimous opinion. And I would bet the ranch, and I think the analogy is appropriate, I'd be interested to hear your thought, but I think the analogy to that decision in Brown in Brown versus Board of Education, to this decision now on the importance of healing the country, this time and that time, racial segregation versus right now, the political segregation that we have, and the importance to the country the only way that people will truly believe that Biden is the president, that Harris is the vice president-elect, that they can have faith in our system and faith in our court, and that there can be any, any unity moving our country forward is if we have a unanimous opinion, just as Warren did with Brown versus Education. And then I'm interested in hearing your thoughts on, on the analogy and if that's appropriate.
1: No, no, it's fantastic. And you are so right about Chief Justice Roberts. But is he a leader who can control these new people? And will there be divided loyalty? I mean, will Amy Coney Barrett feel an affiliation with Chief Justice Roberts or Donald Trump more? And then the wild card is the base out there who are stirred up. 75% of Republicans believe this nonsense, the big lie about it being a rigged election. And Donald Trump's not going to let it go. But I like your thinking. I think that Chief Justice Roberts may be the hero behind closed doors that can get them all to agree. But then he may be the zero because he has a contentious history with Donald Trump. Trump has called him horrible names. Of course, that's no great distinction. But do you think while we consider him a hero, will he become the supervillain? In Trump's mind and in Right. In Trump world. He won't be a super villain to me. He'll be a hero. But will Trump try to turn him into a super villain who's in charge of the deep state Supreme Court?
3: But there are a couple things here. So first remember that Trump world is not monolithic. There are the core believers, there are the hey, we don't like liberals people, and then there are the Hey, we're doing this because we're scared of him or other reasons. It is not a monolithic entity. So that's number one. Number two, on the court itself, Roberts doesn't have control. He is not going to control the court. But for reasons that we've already talked about, I truly don't think either Justices Gorsuch nor Justice Kavanaugh have any allegiance to President Trump, that they truly have core federalist principles. They really believe that. I have not talked with Justice Gorsuch's friends, but I, I do know that the people closest to Justice Kavanaugh think that Donald Trump is a nutjob.
1: I know, but that's the way Blasey Ford was portrayed. And you know that Donald Trump came to his aid. And let's say that blazy ford was accurate and donald trump knows there might have been some accuracy and i remember maybe during your lizard appearance or your second appearance (laughs) you you cast doubt on the credibility of brett kavanaugh am i right you and your classmates at georgetown prep
3: yeah you are correct in that my argument about brett my thought process on kavanaugh was inconsistent On one hand, I found her completely believable, and, not but, I never saw or heard a whisper of anything like how he was characterized, and that guy that we saw during the hearing, I never saw anything like that. The tone, the conspiracy theorists never saw anything like that. And what I heard from his true closest friends was that it was a combination of one near-death fatigue, (laughs) running purely on adrenaline, and playing to an audience of one. The only thing that mattered was not having President Trump pull his nomination.
1: Bingo. So you knew him pre-Trump. And I'm telling you, this is a post-Trump decision. What do you make of the rumors? I know you've heard them. That Kavanaugh wasn't wealthy. He had kids who went to good colleges, lives in expensive D.C., and we'll talk about where you grew up and your fabulous father. But what about those stories that Brett Kavanaugh suddenly paid off some big loans, and maybe he took in some money, and maybe Donald Trump knows that, and behind the scenes, he's going to put pressure on everybody. I'm surprised we haven't heard that he's called Brett Kavanaugh or Amy Coney Barrett to talk this over. He's calling everybody else.
3: Yeah, I'm sure he has tried. So first on the money, Brett did not grow up significantly wealthy, but his father made significant money when he was, I don't know, out of college, out of law school. He's a single child. And so his family became quite wealthy long before he was on the bench.
1: You then heard those stories about some debts being paid off hundreds of thousands. I don't think I'm just imagining it.
3: No, 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 you're not imagining that. No, but I have no concerns. And I'm an avid Democrat, but I have no concerns about Brett Kavanaugh having some kind of improper financial influence. But by the time he was married, he had plenty of family money, plenty of family money. That's not a concern. And Gorsuch's family had money. You know, that's a long established law firm here in Colorado that that you know, that right. you know very well. His old man
1: was a rich Denver lawyer like you.
3: Yep. <laughs> and for Comey Bear, I don't know anything about her, but again, I know this might sound hokey and I am prepared to be proven dead wrong, but I really believe that I may disagree with most of what the Federalist Society stands for. I disagreed with most of what came out of Justice Scalia's mouth and out of his pen. I went to see him speak a number of times, but I thought Scalia was brilliant and I thought Scalia was true. I don't think Scalia would have sold out of loyalty any opinion that he wrote. And I can't imagine either Kavanaugh or Gorsuch doing so out of a a sense of loyalty or pressure. Uh, They're on the bench, they've got a life appointment, they don't want that asterisk next. To their names when they're there.
1: Yeah, but Trump has his Scalia in his cabinet. I just don't know. But as we tape this late on a Friday afternoon, aren't they on the clock? Isn't this like waiting for a jury verdict? Couldn't it happen any minute? And the longer it goes, the more I have to worry.
3: Yes. My prediction has been that it will they will issue a very short unanimous opinion by Saturday afternoon. That's what my guess has been. The other question, I don't want to let this one go because it's a very good one, about isn't Trump calling them? And you know, obviously, we, we've been having these conversations. My assumption is that Trump has wanted to pick up the phone and call his three appointees, that there is someone who is either literally or figuratively jumping on him and trying to grab the phone away and saying, hey, Mr. President, you can't do that, not because you can't, but number one, because we have a better channel to do so. And number two, if it gets out, then they are tainted and, you know, their vote will hurt you. They'll have to recuse themselves. But there is the back channel. The back channel is, you know, former clerks. We have other ways and, hey, we're doing it. And they're either actually doing it and telling him so, or they're not doing it and telling him so. And the message is, you know, getting through.
1: So could Trump call Scalia's widow? or maybe the son and say, call this person and say, my dad would have supported the Donald?
3: I think Trump is disregarding advice. His true inner circle has thinned, and there are no adults left in the room. Yeah, I'm betting he is calling whoever is Justice Tony Barrett's best friend, whoever ferried her nomination process, her former clerks, anyone. You know, He is yelling at people and getting her cell phone, and leaving voicemail messages. Right, and he's
1: he's made it clear, just as clear that he was going to claim cheating if he lost the election. He said, I want a full Supreme Court because they're going to save my bacon.
3: Yep. It's one thing for him to try and make those calls, to leave her voicemail messages, whatever it is. I wouldn't put that past him. It's something else for her or others to accept those calls or to do what he says.
1: What about the placing of the call? Doesn't that cross the line? I mean, aren't we crossing a bunch of lines here, Tom? Isn't this prosecutable, trying to influence a public official? Yeah, except, you know, he can... I mean, you are a public official. If somebody called me when I was a chief deputy and tried to put their strong arm on me, I I would... No offense to Frank Gazer, I'm not talking about him right now, but... (laughs) (laughs) You know what I'm saying? There are lines that seem to be getting obliterated, especially if you are an attorney.
3: Yeah. The thing that we forget about Donald Trump is that if you or I rob a bank, police come and they get us. Donald Trump thinks that if he calls a press conference, has the cameras rolling, and then goes and robs the bank on camera, that somehow it's not a crime.
1: Well, it's, it's been working for him.
3: It's been working for him, you know, up till now. Not for us. So, right. Not for us. Not anymore. I I think Cyrus Vance has some things in the works and we'll see what happens with the Manhattan district attorney and where things are going to happen there. I think the next attorney general will have to make decisions about federal crimes and we'll see where that goes. And, you know, just as you were saying, when I was in the city or the state, if I let the wrong person buy me lunch over a certain value, I was in trouble. But this guy can pick up the phone and try and influence. There's trying to influence. There's actually influencing. I think there's so many other things going on that, you know, right. no, he's not going to get in trouble for this.
1: All right. Well, let me ask you, God willing, Joe Biden will be sworn in. We'll have a great AG. All the candidates seem cool. That Doug Jones, <laughs> I like him. So should Donald Trump be prosecuted? after he's gone. Oh, yes. Yes. I like it. And I realize that there's good reason why you are a lounge lizard and then a gila monster because you come <laughs> from the swamp. You're a swamp creature, Tom Downey. Tell
3: everybody where you grew up and why. Grew up in Washington, D.C., George Washington Hospital. You know, we all knew each other. For people that fly in for an administration, oh, work for a congressman, work for a Beltway Bandit. It's it's a big city and very different. But for those of us who were born there, it's a small town. Those of us who went to grade school together, were in Cub Scouts together, played in the, you know the park. We all knew each other, and it's a it's a small place, and it was a neat place to grow up. Well, tell everybody what your parents did. So my dad was a lawyer, worked for the State Department. We were in Berlin when I was very little. He was the U.S. representative to Spandau Prison when only Rudolf Hess was the final Nazi that was in prison there. Then he worked for President Nixon in the White House. He was a national security Council. As I like to say, he was in there before the role was famous. And then he was with the Ford administration. And then he was an international trade lawyer for uh, many years. And in retirement, he wrote books on legal aspects of civil war and the Cold War. He was a cold warrior. My mom got her master's degree uh, before I was born. And then at 75, got her Ph.D. from Georgetown in philosophy. When I was growing up, she worked for the News Election Service, which was supported by AP, UPI, CBS, NBC, and ABC. And so all growing up, I worked on national local elections. They would literally have someone with a quarter at every polling place around the country. And when they tallied up the results and literally wrote them in chalk on the front of the school or the courthouse, they would run to a old-fashioned phone booth, call up New York, And they would tally the results. And when you would see Walter Cronkite saying with forty two percent of the vote in, it was the news election service that did it. So I got to work that for years and years and years seeing how elections worked growing up. So a fun existence.
1: Gosh, that gives me chills. We think about the politics and the power in Washington. I think about the people and the fact that after watching Hamilton, how it was a compromise and they dug it out of the swamp there and To actually live there, it's sort of like living in Las Vegas. What would that be like? But I got a glimpse of it. I don't know if you saw that HBO movie, The Plot Against America, which features some great scenes in old Washington. I recommend it highly. It imagines that Charles Lindbergh won the 1940 nomination. It's based on a famous novel. And it contemplates what America would have been like if instead of Roosevelt, we would have had Lindbergh and some kind of treaty with Hitler and moving in that authoritarian kind of manner. It's really instructive of what's going on. And it's written by David L. Simon, who wrote The Wire, and he's a Baltimore reporter. It's fantastic. And I encourage everybody to get it, especially as you're quarantined the plot against America, find it somewhere because it's the best thing I've watched all year. And they have an impactful scene where the family takes a vacation to Washington. And it's just, I bet you would like it, Tom Downey.
3: I've got to look it up.
1: Yeah. I'll send you a link to it, but let's talk about real swamp creatures now. Bill Barr, I've listed him (laughs) as my first worst, but it seems like he might be making a break from Donald Trump. Is this real or is this world wide wrestling? I have to think that in Donald Trump's dream scenario, he would not only have the Congress people on the side of this phony Texas lawsuit, but
3: he would have Bill Barr involved. Am I right? <laughs> oh, absolutely, you're right. Absolutely, you're right. So I've got two answers that are not completely inconsistent. The first is that yes, Trump wants Barr on. And he's furious with him for not being on. And so, of course, part of what Barr is doing is a little bit of reputation damage control by not being a complete outlandish nut job as the door closes and he has to walk out. That's number one.
1: And you know that for a fact because you know how Washington works or are you just speculating?
3: No, because he called me in tears one night and confessed. <laughs> no, of course. he's. <laughs> this is, this is uh, just, you know.
1: But you wouldn't know because unlike a Jenna Ellis, for example, Bill Barr really has worked at those big law firms like you work at, and he's had to make a living. Am I correct on all of this?
3: Yeah, he has. And so here's where this is going to sound a little self-contradictory. He has been a complete toady for Trump in everything he has done, except a handful of things have been so beyond the pale that even Barr, who is genuinely an institutionalist, there are some things that Barr does believe in near absolute power of the president. And he's so strong But for Barr to genuinely believe it would have been improper to publicize the investigation of Joe Biden's son, that says a great deal. For Barr to not jump on with these conspiracy theory, whack job arguments on the election, despite Trump saying, let's go after this, for Barr to not jump on to these investigations that Trump wanted him to do near the end actually says something about Barr. There are some things even he won't do. And then the last one here, that even Barr won't jump on with all of these acolyte Republicans with the Texas Attorney General on this bizarre lawsuit that violates every Republican federalist principle that there is. So I think the answer to your question is, it is yes, in part, reputation, control, damage control, but it is also no. There are even some things that Barr truly holds as genuine beliefs, and he's not going to do it. He does have some principles, and he's not going to cross over this ridiculous line.
1: Interesting. We've talked about politics and psychology and principles. Does religiosity go into that, it's Hanukkah for me. So what do I know about Catholics? But I've noticed Bill Barr's a Catholic, although if you go back in his family tree, that's interesting too. But you went to Georgetown Prep, which was a Jesuit place, and that's where Gorsuch went and Kavanaugh and religion may or may not be that important to them or influence them on this. But Amy Coney Barrett seems to be a true believing Catholic. Is that going to inform any of these people as they decide what to do on this big pressure weekend with pressure being applied by Donald Trump?
3: On this one, I don't believe so. She is, by everything I've read, staunchly Catholic. Justice Kavanaugh, staunchly Catholic. Justice Gorsuch, not. He went to, like me, a Catholic high school, but he is not a practicing Catholic his last opinion that broke with the conservative majority on gay rights was a sign of that. He and he and Kavanaugh were distinguished from each other um, in that majority opinion that he wrote. I do want to add, and, and I'm not a practicing Catholic anymore, but I, I am a cultural Catholic, and our house is decorated to the nines, assuming that. The opinion comes down from the Supreme Court on this Texas case, and it is unsigned and the unanimous opinion. That is one thing, and I think that's the best outcome. If there is more to it, and there may have to be, again, I hope that it is unanimous for all of the reasons that we talked about. And again, I, I hope Uh, I'm so glad that you uh, like the analogy with Brown versus Board of Education and the need for a unanimous opinion on such a country splitting issue, the same as back then racial segregation was such a country splitting issue. But if there is a signed opinion, I think who is picked to write that opinion will be so important. And what you saw on that opinion about GLBT rights. Last time, that was not written by one of the liberal justices. It was not written by Chief Justice Roberts, and he was the senior member for, in the majority there, he could pick. It was very powerful for the liberal majority to pick Justice Gorsuch, who no one expected to be on that side of the vote. And he was so eloquent in his opinion that ran counter to the expectations and that there were no concurring opinions. They all, as we like to say, shut up, let the most powerful voice. And he was so powerful because he was not what was expected. So with that, if there is an actual opinion that is written, and especially if it is unanimous.
1: Let's start dreaming it's Hanukkah. Let's think (laughs) big about a miracle. I'm dreaming of a unanimous decision that says, and they all sign it saying, we condemn this kind of practice. This court is not here to destroy democracy. Get the hell out of here.
7: (laughs)
3: Well, so so take the dream to one level further. than that they they refer it to a federal magistrate for uh, consideration of Rule Eleven sanctions against the Republican Attorney General of Texas for bringing a frivolous lawsuit. That, Can we that's get not going to happen. Some
1: sanction against Ted Cruz. <laughs>
3: well, he doesn't get to do anything yet. But right? he announced so,
1: that he wants to be their lawyer. Do you know what he said about Donald Trump? He said not just that he's immoral and a pathological. Liar, but he said morality does not exist for him.
3: Well, and the beauty of what we're talking about is that for Ted Cruz, the opportunity to give oral arguments will probably not exist for him.
1: But there has to be some comeuppance for this guy. What is going on in the mind of a guy like Ted Cruz and what? possible hope is there for the Republican party with actions like that
3: well they're all vying for the seat right if you are ted cruz you want the successor mantle the calculation and you know i could be way off here but my read of it is hey something's going to happen to donald trump he's going to announce for president or he's not or he's going to take ill or something's going to happen but we all want these followers and I'm going to be the successor to Trumpism. And I want them all to follow me. And we are, I'm going to out-Trump Trump. I'm going to be the leader. But, you know, it ain't going to be Pence. He doesn't rally anyone. He only rallies that fly that sat on his head during the debate. Right,
1: that fly was pretty committed to him.
3: <laughs> yes, he was. Yes, he was. Well, I think that part of what they're all doing is they're betting that, Trump really can't run in four years, and that they want but they want to take the mantle. He's going to
1: pretend off. to because he has to stave yep. off prosecution by state authorities and city authorities. He's going to yep. say, "Oh, they're indicting me, but they're really coming after you and give me more money." I mm-hmm. hope this is just for his holiday grifting needs. Can you believe the guy's raised 200 million bucks and he's probably on his way to 400? Maybe this is uh, how he pays those foreign debts.
3: I think so. This is all fundraising for him and, you know, people don't read the fine print. They think that they're assisting a recount when, you know, what is it? It, it has to reach 3800 grand first, for anybody five to go grand. there.
1: It's so it's such a carnival bark or bullshit but his Uh, base buys it and ted cruz may try to grab that tiger by the tail but trump controls that base and if he's going to give it to anybody it's going to be in the family right
3: exactly trump has no friends to whom he is loyal outside of those that are with him today i mean even julie i mean giuliani may get a pardon And the Texas Attorney General may get a party. Ken Paxton.
1: That's a name that should live in infamy. Ken Paxton.
3: (laughs) We will see. Hey, changing the subject. Can I tell you that I'm offended by one break from tradition? I'm in the the lawyer's lounge with you, but you have not asked me what I'm drinking. Well, here's the thing.
1: It's COVID environment. Okay. It's quarantine. I can't pretend we're in the same room. I can't pretend to be around paralegals. Right. So I can ask you, yeah, the, the lounge has changed, but it still doesn't detract from you being a gila monster. But since you are ready, tell us what you would have ordered. And I'll imagine Thank you, it.
3: yes. Please. I, I I am prepared
1: because Please, you know, this I, is I Craig Silverman. And, I, and I'm starved I'm and I'm thirsty and it's Friday night and we're all waiting for a verdict.
3: So part of my COVID mental health, keeping sane approach. And, you know, please ask your listeners not to listen. You're making banana bread. No, no, that's one of my I am um, not making banana bread. But with my teenage daughters, we periodically, I teach them how to make illegal alcohol drinks and we sip them. And so this week, just for your show, because I told them that I was going to be on your show again, and they got all excited and they know what oh, you did for pop-up. Mm -hmm. Yes. For your show, we invented the drink, the RBG. It is a glass half filled with cheap wine and then filled up with ice and then topped off with cranberry juice. But here's the important part. It is an RBG glass. We have wine glasses that are RBG etched. And then because I came home one day uh, and my wife had, no exaggeration, four RBG votive candles in the house, and we are not a religious family, except culturally, old Irish Catholic family. And then I said, seriously, is there anything else? And then I noticed her RBG earrings and I said, seriously, are, are we done? And she said she had 28 more RBG votive candles coming and she waved her hands and said, no, I swear they're for gifts. So we have been giving away our so by RBG candlelight, we have been drinking our RBGs, which is wine diluted with cranberry juice. So what is uh, the that?
1: Is, is it enough to get you drunk?
3: Well, I'm a lightweight. I'm I a know, big guy, but you're I'm beating a pathetic. Teenagers, lightweight.
1: I'm not going to rat shot. I think it's good. And I think all the rules are <laughs> relaxed. And uh <laughs> it's quarantine times how are you surviving this is brutal god willing we'll have a vaccine but we didn't even get into all the ways that trump screwed this up i'm so furious at the guy i mean why would and he's not doing his job why does he even want to get the job back he doesn't do anything
3: (laughs) well except he gets great health care you know, I think he, one of the things everyone talks about, you know, protection from federal prosecution. No one talks about, oh, if he if he coughs, he can get choppered to the best health care and get, you know, the, the right. best I mean, look medicine at possible. At that old doctor he had. <laughs> right. Even his buddy Giuliani is out there admitting that, you know, he got medical care and, and medicine know. that other people yeah. can't. You it's know, it's so.
1: Marie Antoinette. Let them eat cake.
3: That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I've been doing a whole lot of uh, exercise. That's been what's keeping me really? physically. And uh, yeah, I do a lot of bike riding. Um, do you have one I of those can. Pelotons? My wife does. I don't do it. I ride outside. Uh, Dan Recht. Uh, I ride with um, a bunch, which is great because you can socialize, but you're out uh, and doing it. And I swim. And you can talk uh, about I the can. nuggets with Dan. I can talk about the Nuggets. I with love Dan. that kind yes. of talk.
1: Now, Dan's great lawyer. Yeah, I've been out biking and golfing and doing that sort of thing. But have you lost weight? Or are you fit? I mean, you were never in in trouble with your weight, but has it made a physical difference?
3: It has, and uh, so I, I got more coming. But uh, I'd love to go riding with you sometime. That would be great. Um, well, I don't I'm have one great. of those
1: road bikes. I'm mainly listening to podcasts and sometimes CLEs, but. It's great when you can put in those earbuds, like for my podcast and everybody listening to you and Craig's Lawyer's Lounge, this has been our best visit because on podcasts, we're not restricted. Tell us anything else you want the audience to hear before I let you go. And can I call you back if we get a decision before 9 a.m. on Saturday? Maybe we'll do a supplement regardless.
3: I would be thrilled. I would be thrilled. Um, Yeah, just, you know, uh, you and I joke, we have fun. We are so much in agreement on far more things than people would realize. Um, But this is a crucial time uh, in in our country. Uh, But at the end, uh, we're going to be okay as long as we put the right people in the right places. We've been through the Civil War and, you know, we had tremendous people in, you know, except for a couple of bad decisions, uh, you know, Justice Taney and Abraham Lincoln that did remarkable things and other folks in key positions at key times. And uh, we're going to get through this as long as we have good people. Uh, and that includes lawyers. We need lawyers in good places. You know, as, as Shakespeare wrote, first, let's get rid of the lawyers People misinterpret that. He was not saying that lawyers are bad. He was saying uh, that um, in order to destroy society, we need to get rid of the lawyers. And so we. Yeah,
1: I love that kind of talk, but I know where you got that from. You're ripping off your old man. He wrote a book about this. (laughs) Let's end by talking about your dad. How is he? Give the title of that book because I love it. It's something about lawyers at the center of solving the biggest problems in American history.
3: You're dead right. Thank you so much. That meant so much to have him on before. Uh, Arthur Downey, he's got a series of books. The, the core theory, uh, the first one was uh, The Civil War, um, The Law and the Lawyers. And it's about a series of vignettes around the Civil War before and after where lawyers, people who were in significant positions, made key decisions, took real actions that ended up Charting the course for America and got us through uh, it was that then there was one chapter that uh, that he turned into a full book on a Creole affair, which was the most successful slave ship revolt ever, and then another one about the Cold War, same thing about lawyers and their role during the Cold War, taking a series of individual episodes, vignettes from that, and he just had a wonderful time. On your show, talking it through his life, what he went through during the Cold War, and uh, in writing the other books. And it's been just this incredible passion for him. He is uh, now 83 years old and still kicking, and he is going to be listening to this. So I won't spoil, I will tell you offline the Christmas present that is on its way to him. But um, thank you for recognizing that. If you go to uh, Amazon, uh, you can find Arthur T. Downey's uh, books. Um, uh, very well researched, incredibly well written, and I'm very proud to be uh, in the uh, reference list that's there.
1: Wow, what a bother you have. You make me think about the Creole Revolt, and I'm thinking about a Republican revolt. My final question to you, (laughs)
7: uh,
1: who would lead the revolution against Trump within the Republican Party? Who who do you see as the leader of the revolt? Or if it comes, it's got to come
3: from somebody. Yeah. So I think we've already seen it with the Lincoln Project.
1: No, but it's got to be it. Maybe it's Cornyn or I'm talking about somebody who isn't on the outside, but still on the ship.
3: Yeah. So I think folks like the Lincoln Project have created the, the ship. I think it's whoever announces against him. Right. I, I think once the Electoral College uh, you know, votes against him, once the Supreme Court votes against him, once he is out of governmental power, then the tide is going to shift, and the true one against them, whoever the the actual nominee is in twenty twenty four for the for the Republican Party.
1: Boy, we can't wait that long. He's going to just mess up things. I hope Mitt Romney will step up more. Nikki Haley, she seems gone now, but some of these uh, Congress people are stepping up.
3: Yeah. You know, I I would have thought Cheney, she she has not necessarily been you know, she has a voice of her own and she could be one. But, you know, she's got some trouble with, you know, the House Minority Leader. Right. Right, But I think we'll Um, find
1: out in late January, because God willing, Joe Biden will take the oath of office. And uh, you'll come back. We'll have to figure out what the number five category is. But you are a special guest in (laughs) Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. I've never had an RBG before, but wow, I'm getting a little buzz off of it. So thank you for that.
3: Hey, it's my pleasure. It's so wonderful as always. All right, Tom.
1: Say hi to the whole family, okay? Seasons, greetings, happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year.
3: Thank you so much, Craig. You're absolutely wonderful. Bye
1: now. Michael Bailey, you've been a lawyer for a decade and a half. I have that beat because I'm a lot older, but you and I have something in common. Uh, We both pride ourselves on being good attorneys, and I've shared with you a little list I have, 20 ways to be a good lawyer. Do you want to go through a few of these right now, and we'll keep going on future talks. What about number one, behave yourself? What does that mean to you?
4: Uh, I mean, there's a whole slew of things that you can do as an attorney that are unbecoming or unseemly. You know, whether you break the ethical rules or if you just do things that are a little bit sneaky and underhanded, there's no need to do that. You do it the right way, you do it above board.
1: Call my lawyer, Michael Bailey. His rates are reasonable, and he can meet with you and your spouse wherever you want and on weekends and evenings, 720-394-6887, or online at mblawllc.com.
0: Now back to The Greg Silverman Show.
1: Happy Hanukkah. Let there be light. I want to provide some light as we evaluate the big lie by Donald Trump. It is not that difficult if you have a history of prosecuting people. Donald Trump is a lousy witness. He talks too much. He has telegraphed this play. He points his finger at everybody. It's a big conspiracy against me always. And I think that works for some people, but not for me. And I'll show you why. In this, another segment of Impactful Sound. I'm riled up this week. Jenna Ellis and I used to get along. She's been a guest in Craig's Lawyer's Lounge many times, even filled in for me. I thought she was relatively harmless, but she's doing harm now. As I set forth in my Colorado Sun column, I hope you follow me there. And as I told the New York Times, and I don't take that lightly, but this is a big fraud going on, and it's one being perpetrated by Jenna and Donald Trump, and that's why he always accuses people of the things that he does. He's the cheater. He's the liar. Ask his ex-wives. Study his history. And I can't believe people keep falling for it. This is a big grift. And yet there are people who are so enamored of Trumpism that they've joined the cult. They are irrational. But that's where I come in. I try to be the voice of reason and just give you evidence of what I'm talking about, why this is a big lie. And we need to squelch it because right now the Republican Party is dominated by people who believe the election was rigged. Where did they get that from? Not just Donald Trump, but the people who enable him on talk radio, on Fox News and Newsmax, OAN. I don't watch those, but I can imagine Fox is as much as I can take. And I can barely take this talk radio, Trump radio bullshit. How can it be that nobody on the radio can see how obvious this is? Let's start with the star witness. The guy whose job it was to protect the sanctity of this election. How about a smart Republican, a committed conservative, an attorney with great credentials, hired by big corporation like Microsoft, and comes back to work to guarantee the integrity of an election? His name is Chris Krebs, and he was on 60 Minutes.
9: Mr. Trump's claim that millions of votes were deleted or switched is denied by the official he chose to secure the nation's election systems. Christopher Krebs called the 2020 vote the most secure in American history, which promptly got him fired. Tonight, in his first interview since he was dismissed, Krebs tells us why he believes the vote was accurate and why, saying otherwise, Puts the country in danger.
1: All right, now I'm getting pissed. And I have to ask my friends, people who have an intellect, people who have been given a license to practice law, people blessed with an opportunity to influence other people how the fuck can they take Donald Trump's word
12: over Chris Krebs? Why are you speaking to us? I'm not a public servant anymore but I feel I still got some public service left in me. And, you know, it's hard once you take that oath to uphold and defend the Constitution from threats foreign and domestic. It's hard to walk away from that. And if I can reinforce or confirm for one person that the vote was secure, the election was secure, then I feel like I've done my job.
9: Krebs, who's 43, worked on cybersecurity in the Bush administration became Director of Cybersecurity Policy at Microsoft, and joined the Trump Department of Homeland Security in 2017. His priority was to stop anyone from repeating Russia's 2016 election hacking and disinformation.
1: Good one, Scott Pelly. You said it better than I did. And without the swear words, but my God. I know the attack coming against Chris Krebs. They'll say he's incompetent. Trump tweeted that. Next, they will say he's part of the deep state. Okay, that kind of crap. So let's fend that up by saying, what evidence do you have, Mr. Krebs? We don't want to just take your word for it. Give us some solid evidence that backs up your claim that this was the safest and most secure election in American history.
12: Paper ballots give you the ability to audit, to go back and check the tape and make sure that you got the count right. And that's really one of the keys to success for a secure 2020 election. 95% of the ballots cast in the 2020 election had a paper record associated with it. Compared to 2016, about
9: 82%. And with a paper record, you can go back and verify what the machine is saying by physically counting the paper.
12: That gives you the ability to prove that there was no malicious algorithm or hacked software that adjusted the tally of the vote. And just look at what happened in Georgia. Georgia has machines that tabulate the vote. They then held a hand recount and the outcome was consistent with the machine vote.
9: And that tells you what?
12: That tells you that there was no manipulation of the vote on the machine count side. And so that pretty thoroughly, in my opinion, debunks some of these sensational claims out there that I've called nonsense and a hoax, that there is some hacking of these election uh, vendors in their software, and their systems across the country. It's it's just, it's nonsense.
9: Before the election, as the president called mail-in ballots a fraud, Krebs' team released a report highlighting the safeguards built into mail-in voting.
1: So what happens to Chris Krebs, courtesy of the President of the United States? He sticks his dogs on the prey. Chris Krebs, who has broken away, and his allies in talk radio, like this odious Howie Carr. I used to respect these guys, but when they sold out to Trump, they really showed their bullshit stripes. And this guy is odious as he laughs at Joe DeGeneva, Another guy I used to respect, but a total sellout, outrageous, Jenna Ellis type, but a guy who was a U.S. attorney, he was accomplished, and he sold out for Donald Trump to say something like this against Chris Krebs?
2: This, this
7: was not a coincidence. This was all planned. And, uh, you know, anybody who thinks that this election went well, like that idiot Krebs, who used to be the head of... Oh,
2: yeah, the guy that was on 60
9: Minutes last guy,
2: night. That guy is a Class A moron. He should be drawn and quartered, taken out at dawn and shot.
1: <laughs> <sighs> yeah, that's funny. Real funny. Tell somebody gets shot. What, did we just celebrate the anniversary of John Lennon getting shot by Michigan a Michigan person, and you laugh, you asshole? To Jennifer? What is your excuse for what you said? You know the environment. You're making Chris Krebs a target. It's outrageous, man. And then in the age of Trump, what is the go-to defense? Just kidding, of course. Joe, before we get started, there are lots of questions to ask you, but there's something that you wanted to get off your chest today, right? Yes, I
13: wanted to just uh, say to the Newsbacks viewers that my comments the other day on the Howie Carr show on Newsbacks about Mr. Krebs were, were made in complete jest. Uh, they were, a, I must say, a poor attempt at humor. They were hyperbole during a political discussion, and I meant no suggestion of harm or intention to harm Mr. Krebs or his family, and I apologize
5: for any misunderstanding of my intentions.
1: All right, got it. I got it too. Fuck Newsmax. Fuck Joe Geneva. And you weren't kidding. I understand the humor. There was nothing joking about that. You apologize because you know you went too far. And Chris Krebs is prepared. And there are a lot of pissed off lawyers like me that would like to go after people like Joe Geneva. You betcha. Here's Chris Krebs with Jake Tapper. On CNN, not long after DeGenova said he should be drawn and quartered, shot at dawn.
8: So this week, to bring up something uncomfortable, and I'm sorry, but but uh, I've been there too, just as a you know a, a public face during a tough time. Um, Joe DeGenova, a, a campaign lawyer for President Trump, said you should be quote drawn and quartered, taken out of dawn, and shot unquote. Obviously a disgusting thing to say, an unacceptable thing to say. He later said he was being sarcastic. Do you believe him that he was being sarcastic, or do you think he's just saying that to avoid any sort of legal action or lawsuit? You don't know. I I don't
12: know, but I'll tell you what. I think it's a shame that election officials— you you talked about Al Schmidt, you talked about Secretary Raffensperger, you talked about all the other secretaries of state and election directors, the IT contractors in Georgia— that are getting death threats, online, social media, phone calls, text messages, mail. This is, these are public servants. These are the heroes out there. The, the people out there doing the work supporting democracy, they're getting death threats for that? It doesn't make any sense to me. I think it's ultimately corrosive. I think we're gonna have a hard time recruiting election workers going forward. And if we don't have election workers, we're gonna have a hard time doing elections.
8: You said you have a team of lawyers and you're planning to take advantage of our nation's laws when it comes to that that threat. Uh, what are they doing? Well,
12: you know, we're looking and evaluating all the options available to us and uh, whether it's state or federal. we'll 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 talk in court and uh, there they're, it's a great crew. So you are going to take legal action. We are taking a look at our options.
1: Now, how do we know when Donald Trump is not telling the truth? Well, you know, at the end of that lawyer joke. Although it's a joke to be a lawyer for Donald Trump right now, lawyers have to be better than this. Use our head. There is a lot to go on. This guy speaks all the time. It's called inconsistent statements or statements made that seem contrary to what he said at another time. And there are timelines. It's called evidence, and we have it plenty involving Donald Trump. No good lawyer would ever let their client speak out as much as Donald Trump does, but he's beyond a lawyer's control. Can you imagine Jenna Ellis telling Donald Trump, maybe you shouldn't do that 47-minute Facebook talk on December 2nd? But he did. And He stood up there saying this is going to be the most important speech he's ever given. And then he talks about how Joe Biden was jumping the gun by declaring victory and appointing a cabinet, this and that. How dare the man? What audacity. Let the process play out.
13: For months leading up to the presidential election, we were
1: warned that we
13: should not declare a premature victory. We were told repeatedly that it would take weeks, if not months, to determine the winner, to count the absentee ballots, and to verify the results. My opponent was told to stay away from the election, don't campaign. We don't need you, we've got it. This election is done. In fact, they were acting like they already knew what the outcome was going to be. They had it covered, and perhaps they did, very sadly for our country it was all very very strange within days after the election we witnessed an orchestrated effort to anoint a winner even while many key states were still being counted
1: right they were still counting the audacity can you believe the bullshit there and the fucking conspiracy theories to come out of his mouth how they knew in advance and why are they declaring victory so early do you think that most people forget What this asshole had to say on election night as he came out in COVID times to a crowded room where a bunch of people gave others COVID. And what the fuck did he care? He's already had COVID. Let the others get sick. Here's Trump on the night of the election. Now he complains about a premature declaration.
13: And all of a sudden everything just stopped. This is a fraud on the American public. This is an embarrassment to our country. We were getting ready to win this election. Frankly, we did win this election.
7: election.
13: So our goal now is to ensure the integrity for the good of this nation. This is a very big moment. This is a major fraud in our nation. We want the law to be used in a proper manner. So we'll be going to the U.S. Supreme Court. We want all voting to stop. We don't want them to find any ballots at 4 o'clock in the morning and add them to the list, okay? It's it's a very sad sad moment. To me, this is a very sad moment, and we will win this, and as far as I'm concerned, we already have won it.
1: That's unbelievable, even from this asshole president. The major fraud on our nation is being committed by him and the people who back this bullshit play. He said, We want all voting to stop. And he talked about the dumps. And if I hear another right wing asshole pretend, like, Well, how could it be? We went to bed and he was ahead and then it all came in for Biden when everybody said it had to work that way because Donald Trump and his White House put pressure on the Pennsylvania Republican legislature to make sure that none of the mailed-in votes were counted until after the day of votes to trigger exactly this situation about which you now complain. Come on, people. We are smarter than this. We're better than this. Who could fall for this crap? It is a big grift and an attack on America. Vlad Putin could not do it better. And he's got most of the Republican Party convinced that the election was rigged. Way to go, you enablers. How sick is that? Let's go back to what he had to say in that ill-advised Facebook talk that he gave on December 2nd. This is well after the election. Remember, he sulked and he golfed and he did all that crap. But he was unfurling his legal strategy that was supposed to culminate in the Supreme Court with Alito and Thomas, two right wing stooges, if there ever were two, to join up with his appointees, Kavanaugh, Gorsuch, Comey, and give him the victory 5 4, which he said he needed in the Supreme Court. Well, that got rightly rejected Friday afternoon, Friday evening. Thank God. But of course, that's not going to stop the Trumpsters. Now the Supreme Court has turned. It's Roberts. He's no good, I tell you. He's deep state. And they will keep triggering on the back of those 100-plus Republican Congress assholes who backed this constitutional coup. They'll say, well, you think I'm nuts? Well, my representative, Ken Buck, supported it. So did Doug Lamborn. And we know Lauren Boebert will lead the charge when she gets in. It is disgusting. But let's stick to the evidence. And here we go. Here's Donald Trump perpetuating that bullshit. Well, how is it that I was so far ahead and people came from behind? Do you remember election night when Donald Trump had a huge lead in Virginia because they counted Trump parts of Virginia first. We all knew the Dems were going to win there. And there were the reverse in other states. It depends on how you count the votes. The early returns don't mean shit till you know, has Philadelphia reported? Anyway, here's Trump claiming fraud in Wisconsin. Understand they lost recount, not only lost it, Biden got more votes, but here he is still peddling that he's going to win Wisconsin. This is what he says a month after losing Wisconsin.
13: In Wisconsin, as an example, where we were way up on election night, they ultimately had us miraculously losing by 20,000 votes. And I can show you right here that Wisconsin... We're leading by a lot. And then at 3.42 in the morning, there was this. It was a massive dump of votes. Mostly Biden, almost all Biden. And to this day, everyone's trying to figure out where did it come from? But I went from leading by a lot to losing by a little. And that's right here. That's at 3.42 in the morning. That's Wisconsin. A terrible thing. Terrible, terrible thing.
1: You're a terrible thing. This play-acting bullshit. Does it ever get old? You baby, you whiner. Gosh, this guy needs to leave this stage. But he's not going to go easy. He's going to try to delegitimize Joe Biden. You know what Joe Biden's crime was? Kicking the ass of Donald Trump. If we are right
13: about the fraud, Joe Biden can't be president. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of votes. We're talking about numbers like nobody has
1: ever seen before. You know, if we didn't hear that crap out of your mouth, every time you talk numbers we've never seen before, because you make up numbers. We know that's true. And I like, at least he couched it, if the fraud is true, if your hoax is true. Well, it's not true. Washington Post had a story about a Georgia representative who looked at the names of the alleged fraudulent voters and she proved that it's a bunch of bullshit when you check it out, when you talk to the people. This is a fraud on the American people toward dangerous ends. That's why I'm worked up. It's an attack on democracy, on me, my country, my children, my family, your family. Don't let this man get away with it. Here's the litany of bullshit complaints that he put together that found its way in the Texas brief of Ken Paxton, who is under indictment for his fraud in the state of Texas, and he's under investigation by the federales, and he could sure use a pardon in Donald Trump's Offering those to anybody and everybody, but this is the part where no lawyer would ever countenance his or her client to give a monologue like this, listing all these bullshit, preposterous theories of why he lost by 7 million plus votes and so big in the electoral college. It wasn't even close, Trump, and this is the little shit you're making up?
13: And that includes votes that went through when they were not allowed to be seen by Republican poll watchers because the poll watchers were locked out of the building or people that innocently came to vote on November 3rd who were all excited about their vote. They were happy. They were proud to be citizens of the United States of America. And they went up and they said, I'd like to vote, and they were told that they can't vote. I'm sorry, they were told, I'm sorry. You've already voted by mail-in ballot. Congratulations. We received a ballot so you can no longer vote. They didn't know what to do. They had no one to complain to. Most just left and said, that's strange. But many people complained and complained vehemently. And in a lot of cases, they filled out a provisional ballot, which was almost never used, but in virtually every case was a vote for Trump. In other words, they went in to vote and they were told that they voted. And they didn't vote. And they left and they felt horror. And they lost respect for our system. And this happened tens of thousands of times all over the country. That's how desperate the Democrats were. They would fill out ballots of people, not even knowing if these people were going to show up. And when they did show up, they said, Sorry, you've already voted.
1: Oh my God. What a great plan by the Democrats! Nice, no witnesses there. They felt horror, tens of thousands of them. They lost respect for our country. He's the guy who's making people lose respect for our country. Did you read that op-ed by Eric Coomer in the Denver Post? He headed up Dominion Voting Systems, which is a Denver, Colorado company. And some guy who goes to Bandamera as part of one of those freedom, let's not wear mask clubs out there, he happened to be the guy who says, I hacked Eric Coomer. I didn't do it illegally, but I heard him say Trump's a bitch or something like, you know, that guy in the FBI, he said it, and now he's the voting systems guy, and this is bad, and we've got Sidney Powell on board, and Brian Kemp's getting bought up, and Raffenberger, and this is from Donald Trump denigrating a Denver company called Dominion Voting Systems, and now... The guy who is the source of this story, I think he's advertising on Denver Trump Radio. And it's all born in Colorado, pushed by Michelle Malkin. It's a Colorado thing. And here's Donald Trump spreading this bullshit.
13: And on top of everything else, we have a company that's very suspect. Its name is Dominion. With the turn of a dial or the change of a chip, you can press a button for Trump And the vote goes to Biden. What kind of a system is this? We have to go to paper. Maybe it takes longer. But the only secure system is paper. Not these systems that nobody understands, including, in many cases, the people that run them. Although, unfortunately, I think they understand them far too well. In one Michigan county, as an example, that used Dominion systems, They found that nearly 6,000 votes had been wrongly switched from Trump to Biden. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. This is what we caught. How many didn't we catch? Are there hundreds of other examples throughout the country? Are there thousands? We just got lucky and they called it a glitch. But we found numerous glitches that evening. 96% of the company's political donations went to Democrats, not surprisingly. And frankly, when you look at who's running the company, who's in charge, who owns it, which we don't know, where are the votes counted, which we think are counted in foreign countries, not in the United States, dominion is a disaster.
1: Now, here is when it gets really stupid, which is saying something for a Donald Trump speech. But by his logic, there's no way he could have trailed Cory Gardner in Colorado. Because he's more popular than the Republicans, he led them to victory. So how can he be behind them in percentage of vote? I'll tell you how. The same reason so many other people came out of the woodworks to vote, because we can't fucking stand you, man. We want you gone. That's why well over 80 million people voted against your ass.
13: The tremendous success we had in the House of Representatives and the tremendous success we've had so far in the Senate, unexpected success all over the country and right here in Washington. It is statistically impossible that the person, me, that led the charge
1: lost. Can you believe that horseshit? This guy cannot conceive that anybody running for Senate or Congress would be more popular in their jurisdiction than he would be. He is so egotistical and narcissistic and deluded. I love when he makes up people that he talks to. I can't imagine this conversation when anything like the way he relays it.
13: The Speaker of the House of a certain state said, sir, I expected to lose my seat. And instead, because of you, and because of that incredible charge and all of those rallies, we had a tremendous victory and everybody knows it. You were much more popular than me, sir, except I got many more votes than you did. And it's impossible that that happened. There is something wrong. I'll tell you what's wrong. Voter fraud.
1: Oh, my gosh. How many things are there in there that tip you off that this guy is nuts? Everybody knows it. All of the rest of us are faking. We really know he's great. And then the way he imitates his supplicant's voice. This is the right way to talk to me. You are happy. You are respectful. Yes, sir. You are more popular than me. I am so privileged to be in your presence, sir. How great thou art. Who would buy this horse shit? Too many people. And it's being fed to them by people who are smarter. I don't know if they're manipulative or they're in a cult, but it really doesn't matter because it bothers the fuck out of me. I'm sick of it. And he makes up people. I doubt that speaker ever existed. I don't trust a word out of Donald Trump's mouth, and neither should you. Here's some more examples of his lack of credibility. Listen to these wild accusations mixed in with the bigotry of him denigrating China.
13: In this case, the signatures on envelopes are the only thing that is relevant. We will compare the signature on the envelope to the signatures from past elections, and we will find that many thousands of people signed these ballots illegally. The Democrats had this election rigged right from the beginning. They used the pandemic, sometimes referred to as the China virus, where it originated, as an excuse to mail out tens of millions of ballots, which ultimately led to a big part of the fraud, a fraud that the whole world is watching. And there is no one happier right now than China. Many people received two, three, and four ballots. They were sent to dead people by the thousands. In fact, dead people, and we have many examples, filled out ballots, made applications, and then voted, which is even worse. In other words, dead people went through a process. Some have been dead for 25 years. Millions of votes were cast illegally in the swing states alone.
1: Are you fucking serious? Dead people filled out ballots. Mail ballots are full of fraud. Here we are in Colorado. Have you heard about a lot of dead people mailing in ballots? Of course, the red scare that he got from Roy Cohn, his mentor, evil communist China. And then he's going to compare the signatures and everything went against them. It's a dim rigging. They didn't have Republicans there. No Republican rigging. When in fact, the only good election fraud case in the last two cycles was that bullshit the Republican pulled in Congress in North Carolina. But people want to buy this shit. That means they're in the cult or they're on the take. Either way, I'm fucking furious at them. Then. Here's the sedition part. This is where he's really trying to fucking ruin our country. And we need to fight back. This guy needs to be prosecuted for his sedition, as indicated right here, talking about a catastrophe for America.
13: The results of the individual swing states must be overturned and overturned immediately. Some people say that's too far out. That's too harsh. Well, does that mean we take a president and we've just elected a president where the votes were fraudulent? No, it means you have to turn over the election. And everybody knows, without going much further, and they've seen the evidence, but they don't wanna talk about it, what a disaster this election was, a total catastrophe. But we're going to show it, and hopefully the courts in particular the Supreme Court of the United States will see it, and respectfully, hopefully, they will do what's right for our country.
1: Yeah, you thought that your appointees would come through, but thank God they realize they're more powerful than you. You need to exit this stage with your talk about catastrophe and trying to scare everybody and your delusional statement that everybody knows. Can any of you Trumpsters defend that? You are saying that I know that the election was rigged. I just won't say it out of my mouth. Isn't the opposite true that you know this was a fair election, as Chris Krebs claimed? And to say the bullshit you are is really something that everybody knows is corrupt or you're mentally ill or you are in a cult or you want to keep your audience or you want to keep your hopes alive. You want to keep your political office. There's a time to speak out. There's a direct attack on our system. It's the big lie. Germany lost World War I. They couldn't come to grips with that, so they didn't acknowledge the loss. They said they were stabbed in the back, forced to surrender by, I don't know, was it globalists? Oh, it was non-Aryans, Jews, the others. People who didn't love Germany sufficiently. It was a big lie, but people bought into it. Because when you claim that an election was rigged or a war was sabotaged, it's serious as a heart attack. That's why I'm pissed off. You should be too. Then Trump says that this is ruinous for America, says USA can't go on, way to go, cause a civil war. Gets these attorney generals from these red states to file on behalf of the president's bullshit, Texas lawsuit just rejected by the Supreme Court. The damage has been done. and Fuck you to Alito and Clarence Thomas, too. Really, for giving any oxygen to it. Anybody with a legal education who gives oxygen to this bullshit, they just get special contempt from me. Here's what Donald Trump said. This was on December 2nd.
13: Because our country cannot live with this kind of an election. We could say, let's go on to the next one. But no, we have to look also at our past. We can't let this happen. Maybe you'll have a revote, but I don't think that's appropriate. When those votes are corrupt, when they're irregular, when they get caught, they're terminated. And I very easily win in all states. I very easily win these swing states, just like I won them at 10 o'clock in the evening, the evening of the election.
1: You bastard for lying like that. When you know you fixed the rules where the Dem votes couldn't be counted till the next day and you think we're all that stupid and everybody knows. What a bunch of terrible nonsense. USA can't live with this kind of election? Claiming that you won and that you won big? That bullshit echoed by Jenna Ellis? Damn you, Jenna. Accusing people of stealing that did no such thing? Isn't that against the Ten Commandments? Bearing false witness? You can't do that on behalf of a client. This is bullshit. I'm going to call it out. So obvious in every which way. I welcome anybody who wants to refute the logic of what I'm saying. Come on this podcast. Let's curse at each other. Because this has gotten past the point of friendly discussion. Then always the media, the enemy of the people. He says the media knows. The New York Times knows that it was rigged election, but they're part of the conspiracy. So did Channel 9. They're all in on it, don't you know? That's the conspiracy theory that Donald Trump wants you to fucking buy. And if you do, you're going you're gonna to be in the cult. And that leads to bigotry. That's where conspiracy theories lead to this radical state of demonizing the other. It's the media. It's the globalists. It's George Soros. It's those people who don't like our red hats. When they attack me, they're attacking you. Where does that bullshit come from? Right now, from the Oval Office in less than 40 days in Mar-a-Lago, where I hope he has no microphone, but he will. We know he will. I'm going to keep calling him out for shit like this.
13: So we're not looking to show you 25 faulty or fraudulent votes, which don't mean anything because it doesn't overturn the state or 50, or 100, we're showing you hundreds of thousands, far more than we need, far more than the margin, far more than the law requires. We can show many times what is necessary to win the state. The media knows this, but they don't want to report it. In fact, they outright refuse to even cover it because they know the result if they do. Even what I'm saying now will be demeaned and disparaged, but that's okay. I just keep on going forward because I'm representing 74 million people. And in fact, I'm also representing all of the people that didn't vote for me.
1: You don't represent me, man. Have you ever heard such bullshit and yet people buy it? I knew that Denver Trump radio was just totally fucked when I heard the host, the morning host say, when they come after him on this impeachment, they're really coming after you and me. What the fuck? Trump has people believing that. It's crazy. He can't even believe that 74 million people voted for him. It's hard for me to accept. But I accept the results of the election. I sure as shit can see why so many millions came out to vote against his ass.
13: The mail-in voting scam is the latest part of their four-year effort to overturn the results of the 2016 election. And it's been like living in hell. Our opponents have proven many times, again and again, that they will say and do anything to get back into power. The corrupt forces who are registering dead voters and stuffing ballot boxes are the same people who have perpetrated one phony and fraudulent hoax after another. You've been watching it now for four years. These entrenched interests oppose our movement because we put America first. They don't put America first. And we're returning power to you, the American people. They don't want America first. They only want power for themselves. They want to make money. That's why they don't want me as your president. I've been investigated from soon after I announced I was running for president. When I immediately went to number one in the Republican primary polls, the investigations never stopped. They went on for four years. And I won them all. I beat them all. Russia, Russia, Russia. The impeachment hoax and so much more.
1: Oh, my God. His greatest hits. Russia, Russia, Russia. The guy was going to build the biggest building in Moscow. He had that deal with Putin and the oligarchs. And he had that shit in Helsinki with Putin where Putin said, I didn't even know he came to Russia. What a bunch of horse shit. Who could swallow that? Donald Trump has every conspiracy theory. I prosecuted the Capitol Hill rapist who raped dozens of women. We charged him with six and then eventually a seventh, Colorado's first DNA case. But if he was like Trump, he would say, oh, you're accusing me of that one over there on Vine Street and the one on Ray Street? Well, I'm innocent of them both. Oh, another one. Yeah, that even proves again how you're out to get me a fourth, a fifth yeah, you set me up. They're all hoaxes. I'm not breaking in on women and raping them from behind and making them shower. You have one false accusation against me after another. Read Brian Stelter's book, Hoax. He was my guest. Listen to the podcast. That's his go-to word. And who could buy that horseshit? It's 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 bought every day on Denver Trump Radio, and you listen like seventy-seven WABC. The show Rudy Giuliani's show, Bernie Carrick. There's a character, Bernie Carrick. He went to prison. Now he's leading every podcast. You can hear him every day if you get on the right podcast channels. Here it is, and hit your smartphone again. Let's go to a hearing. Jenna Ellis is next to a farting Rudy Giuliani in Michigan. Oh, he just farted. That means Trump's innocent. It's like the Pope. A little smoke came out. Oh, Jenna, such a loyalist. Can you believe that, girl? I know her. It's sickening to me what's happened to her. Then Donald Trump takes on a female lawyer who's going to come after his ass for all his improprieties in New York. And he starts talking preemptive shit about her, and he makes up another imaginary conversation. This guy's a master at imaginary friends.
13: The New York attorney general, who recently ran for office, campaigned without knowing me, stating, we will join with law enforcement and other attorneys general across this nation in removing this president from office. I never met her. It's important that everybody understand, she said that the days of Donald Trump are coming to an end. And all it's been is a big investigation in Washington and New York and any place else that can investigate. Because that's what they want to do. They want to take not me, but us down. And we can never let them do that. Everything's been looked at. A friend of mine who's very smart said, you've probably seen more than anybody else you've probably been investigated more than anybody else and for you to come out with a clean bill of health makes you probably the cleanest person in this country
1: my god what's well i never met her because he thinks he can charm anybody to forgetting his improprieties letting them go taking a payoff of one kind or another here's donald trump wrapping up that december 2nd speech stop this steal Trademark, Roger Stone, the original dirty trickster in it from the outset with his good buddy, Donald Trump. And boy, do I feel vindicated having talked to Roger Stone. Memorable conversation, December 31, 2015. And he told me about the meeting of Cohn and Trump and him at Reagan headquarters in Manhattan and how Roy Cohn was a great guy. That was Trump's mentor. Again, I got to write about that in the Colorado Sun as I dissected Jenna Ellis last week. But here's Donald Trump finishing up his speech, citing a three-word slogan that Roger Stone came up with in 2016, thinking that they would lose, but claimed that they had won just like they're doing now. And it was a hashtag so good that they brought it back called Stop the Steal." This was all cooked up, and for the people who buy this shit, I feel sorry for you. Get smarter. Repent.
13: All you have to do is watch the hearings and see for yourself. The evidence is overwhelming. The fraud that we've collected in recent weeks is overwhelming, having to do with our election. Everyone is saying, wow, the evidence is overwhelming when they get to see it. But really, it's too late to change the course of an election. It's too late to change the outcome. In fact, there is still plenty of time to certify the correct winner of the election. And that's what we're fighting to do. But no matter when it happens, when they see fraud, when they see false votes, and when those votes number far more than is necessary, you can't let another person steal that election from you. All over the country, people are together in holding up signs, stop the
1: steal. You said it just the way Roger Stone wanted you to. Get out of our White House, sir, please. And stop doing the damage you're doing. But you are not going to listen to me, but I implore reasonable Republicans Anybody who, like me, was once taken in a bit by Trump, get smarter. I think I did. It's a matter of analysis. I've heard him more. I was not a Trump scholar, but now I am. And I don't like what I see. Thanks for hearing me out on this. I'm sorry I had to curse, but sometimes it's a good way to get anger out. Okay, that's it. What a show. I hope you enjoyed it. Happy Hanukkah. Thanks very much to my troubadour, Dave Gunders. You could be dancing with the stars instead. You're dancing with me. Thank you, buddy. Then thanks to my friend Tom Downey. What a great guest. Five appearances. I'm giving him credit for two in Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. What comes after a gila monster? And then John Kellner. His first visit was a great one. Good luck as you are D.A. in the A-10. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you to my sponsors. Have a great week. Happy Hanukkah.
0: Thank you for listening. Tune in live every Saturday morning, 9 to noon, Mountain Time. Visit thecraigsilvermanshow.com for the podcast, blog, and more. Be sure to subscribe on all major podcasting platforms to be updated when new episodes are available. This has been The Craig Silverman Show.